Hello, folks. Welcome back. It's lovely to have you all here, even if I am entirely invisible. How is everybody? Big Mama says, doing fine down here. I am doing quite well. Monkey, hello. What have y'all been up to this week? Because I get myself bah, back on the scene. Monkey, Fabriella, Brittle Shroom, Plague Deity. Hello. Plague Deity says, I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Today's going pretty well. Not bad. The mystery of the invisible Sam. Fortunately, it's solved now. Never you fear. Um, and uh, yeah, folks, I hope you are all having a wonderful day. I hope you're having a fantastic week. Um, I know we had to cut sh yesterday a little bit short, but today, don't worry, we have got a nice long one today. Not not crazy long, but longer than average for sure. Um, and then don't forget, tomorrow we're doing another side karaoke stream. So, if you want to hear some odd characters sing some odd songs, that's the spot to do it. Now, I am curious what y'all are up to this week, but before we get into that, um, I would like to do another quick soundbite. We've done some of these uh, over the last, uh, let's see, over the last couple of weeks. Um, I am, I'm sort of understanding my system a little bit better. Uh, the more I look at these, the more it seems like I am going to have to just read and then hope, and then I, I will, uh, you know, track where I have done the, the readings of individual sound bites and be able to direct people toward those VODs. But I realized if I wait for people to be here, you know, typically people are the, the, the most statistically likely spot to find somebody during a stream is in the middle of the stream. Uh, and so I can't be like interrupting entire streams just for sound bites, unless it's a particularly short one, which we've definitely had, and I, I don't mind doing that at all. But in general, these are going to need to be at the start or the end. And so I think I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read one today. Uh, and this one is, oh, I think it's sort of dedicated to JCA. Now, I don't know if JCA is here right now, but uh, this one is from, uh, this one's from Kibo, and it is called Love you forever. So, for those of you who don't know, sound bites are uh, something that patrons get to send me essentially a script every month. Uh, if you would like to know more about that, you can go ahead and check out the sound bites post over on Patreon, uh, and you'll get a sort of sense for how that all works. Um, but essentially, whatever level you subscribe at, that is what determines your word count limit. And other than that, send me anything, anything to read, and I will do it. And you can decide what voice I'm going to read it in. So. Let's take a look at this. Now, this one's really cute. Um, and it actually, Brittle Shroom says, I listened to your books while they were on YouTube while I was pregnant. They helped me get to sleep when it was hard. Now I'm so excited to listen to your stream with my three-month-old son. Brittle Shroom, that is lovely. Um, and actually, this kind of will, this might resonate with you as well then. <laughs> Unless mysteriously, Brittle Shroom and JCA are the same person. Uh, but no, that is lovely. Um, this one is... Uh, a bit of a bedtime story slash lullaby almost. And so I think without further ado, let's talk about it. As I mentioned, this one is from Kibo uh, and this one goes out to JCA. This one, this is a slow jam from Kibo and JCA, you keep on rocking. <laughs> um, this one, the request was for a Scottish accent. Now, 
specifically for a lowland Scottish accent. And I don't know if I've got that one down, but I do think I have a sufficiently good Scottish accent that I should be able to pull it off. A long, now, if you asked me a long time ago, it would have just been Shrek um, <laughs> because that was uh, the second big voice that I practiced doing for a long time. But uh, I've worked on it since then. I've made it much more true to, true to life. Uh, and so here is Love You Forever by Robert Munch. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The baby grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was two years old. And he ran all around the house. He pulled all the books off the shelves. He pulled all the food out of the refrigerator. And he took his mother's watch and flushed it down the toilet. Sometimes his mother would say, This kid is driving me crazy. But at night time, when that two-year-old was quiet, she opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor, looked over the side of the bed. And if he really was asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. While she rocked him, she sang, I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The little boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was nine years old. And he never wanted to come in for dinner. He never wanted to take a bath. And when Grandma visited, he always said bad words. Sometimes his mother wanted to sell him to the zoo. But at night time, when he was asleep, the mother quietly opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of the bed. If he really was asleep, she picked up that nine-year-old boy and rocked him back and forth. Back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang. I love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. The boy grew. He grew and he grew and he grew. He grew until he was a teenager. He had strange friends and wore strange clothes and he listened to strange music. Sometimes the mother felt like she was in a zoo, but at night time. When that teenager was asleep, the mother opened the door to his room, crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of the bed. If he really was asleep, she picked up that great big boy and rocked him back and forth. Back and forth. Back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang, I love you forever. I like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be.
and that teenager grew. He grew, and he grew, and he grew. He grew until he was a full-grown man. He left home and got a house across town. But sometimes, on dark nights, the mother got into her car and drove across town. If all the lights in her son's house were out, she opened his bedroom window and crawled across the floor and looked up over the side of his bed. If that great big man really was asleep, she picked him up and rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she rocked him, she sang. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. Well, that mother, she got older. She got older and older and older. And one day she called up her son and said, You better come see me, because I'm very old and sick. So her son came to see her. When he came in the door, she tried to sing the song. She sang, I love you forever. I like you. But she couldn't finish because she was too old and sick. The son went to his mother. He picked her up and rocked her back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And they sang this song. I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my mummy you'll be. When the son came home that night, he stood for a long time at the top of the stairs. Then he went into the room where his very new baby daughter was sleeping. He picked her up in his arms and very slowly rocked her back and forth, Back and forth, back and forth. And while he rocked her, he sang, I love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And there we have it, folks. That is a quick sound bite. Uh, actually, frankly, it's not terribly quick. That is the longest sound bite we've had yet, of course, yet. Um, and uh, that one, as I mentioned, goes out to JCA. This one, this one is a slow jam for JCA from uh, an admirer, Kibo. I actually don't know precisely. I know they're on the same account, so I feel fairly comfortable saying that, but. Uh, yeah, that one's from Kibo. Kibo, going out to JCA, and y'all, thank you very, very much. Uh, that is, that one is by Robert Munch. M, uh, Robert, spelled as it sounds, M-U-N-S-C-H. So, if y'all are looking for that, that is the spot to find it. Uh, and let me take a quick note down here and make sure that I have, uh, noted when I went ahead and read this one. 
because I'm trying to I'm trying to be very organized now. I'm trying to be a very organized lad because I'm not naturally good at that. I have to practice. Brutal Shroom says my son was cooing and smiling the whole time. Oh, that's lovely. He's gonna grow up with a Scottish accent. It's gonna be super weird. <laughs> All right. Um. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Wonderful. Hello, everyone. I think that's kind of a fun way to welcome folks in. Um, I'm going to try and do a pretty good job in the future of letting folks know when these are actually going to be read so that they can make sure to be here. Um, for the uh, for the short ones, the little short ones like we had from Jade Dragon and Tanisha last week, those are going to be easy because I'll just be able to, when I see you come in, I'll say, hey, we're going to do this quick soundbite because... Like I said, less than 100 words, those can pop in wherever. But that one was actually uh, 772 words, believe it or not, right? The, it, it feels very strange. Word counts are not uh, something that are easy to estimate. Um, but but uh, the, the ones that need to be planned out ahead of time, I'll try to let you know when I'm going to be actually reading them. This is the very first month we've ever done sound bites as an official sort of uh, sidecar stories thing. Uh, if you're wondering what else is going on over on Patreon, just today I released a uh, big video that I was anticipating was going to be about six to ten minutes long and turned out to be two times 10 plus seven. It was almost a half hour long. Um, uh, it is a tour of my little studio room here. So if you're wondering what my place looks like, go ahead and check that out. Um, Brittle Shroom says, when the book first came out, my mom went uh, to a live reading by the author and uh, used to sing it the same way he did to me growing up. So this means so much to me. I live in Japan and haven't seen my mom in person for over two years because of Corona. So that meant so much. Oh, I am very glad to hear it. Uh, yeah, that's the great thing about some of these is, uh, you know, the internet friendships one, uh, stopping by the woods, and then this one especially. These are going out to certain people or for certain people, but I have yet to see one. Of course, we haven't done this a lot, but I've yet to see one of these that didn't mean something to a lot of people. Whether new or old, you know, these these can these have a great impact, frankly. Big Mama says my babies are 26 and 23. I got gotcha. you. So you're in that uh, you're in that second to what is it? Second to last stanza, if I remember correctly. Do you sneak into their windows, Big Mama? That's the one thing that was kind of curious about this story <laughs> is that that where he, he gets a house on the other side of town and she she will go crawl into his window. Um, but the one thing that I did think was extra sweet is there's only one way for the son to know that song, and that is. Y'all, here, here come the, here come the real tears. Y'all ready? There's only one way for that kid to know that song because she only sings it to him when he's asleep. Uh, he knows, right? Maybe not every time, but sometimes uh, she will come and sing that to him, and he's not really asleep. Uh, so this is something that he has shared with her. This has not just been like something she does on the sly. Not entirely. It's a very sweet story. All right, folks, let's talk about our stories for today. I hope you're having a fantastic week. I really genuinely do. Um, uh, let's see. What have y'all been up to? What have y'all been up to this week? No worries, Sparkle Love Good. You are not too late. You are not overly late yet. Uh, I do need I do need a little, like, I need a special 
uh, flag up there that says it's for sound bites, don't I? Um, that way we know what we're actually getting ourselves into here. And when people show up and they're in the middle of a sound bite, they don't like ditch the stream thinking they're going to get spoilers because we already started a chapter. Uh, today, folks, we are back to Percy Jackson, of course, and uh, it's going to be a raucous one. As it always is when we get to the second to last stream of a book. The last stream of a book often, you know, it, it, it's sort of, uh, it's up in the air. Typically, as of the last stream, something big has happened. It's just a matter of how is that falling out and then what happens to lead us into the next book. But these, the second to last stream, as it is today, these get nuts. So, are you ready to get nuts? I hope that you are. Um, we have got chapter 14, 15, and 16 today. Uh, and last week... We dealt with, uh, let's see, where were we? I want to say we had another three-chapter week last week. Um, uh, I know we sort of started along the, uh, where's my where's my breakdown here? Where are you at? You wretched, here we go. No, 12 and 13 last week. Uh, ready to get legumed? <laughs> Watch your veins. Let's go. Um, 12 and 13, I take a permanent vacation and we hire a new guide. This was kind of, uh, this was a very weird little um, uh, intermission almost in the adventure. Percy, of course, has gone on multiple quests before. And up until this point, it's been a lot of, you know, charge forward, keep your friends with you. You might lose somebody along the way, but they will sort of turn up at the end or something. Or they may be lost permanently. But in this one, it's a little odd because lots of separating the party right in tabletop rpgs there's this whole saying i don't believe it's always true especially in more narrative games but don't split the party right that that comes up a lot in uh, tabletop rpgs like uh D, or some of the fun dungeon world stuff that we've done they talk about that a lot and the party is wicked split i think we can agree that you know, as um, uh, Grover and Tyson have gone off alone, uh, Percy and Annabeth go off alone on their little path, and then those two separate, and Percy ends up launched into the air, and that is where we begin last week. Um, I take a permanent vacation. This vacation is to the Isle of Calypso. Now, Calypso is the person who lives here, not the name of the island. This island exists sort of outside of space and time, and Percy lands here, as have apparently many before him. This all plays out over the course of the chapter, but it turns out that this island is a punishment for Calypso uh, because she took sides with her father, Atlas, you know, big villain from the last book, Atlas. She sided with him during the first Great Titan War, uh, and so she's been here ever since. And it's a little strange at first because this island is, of course, a paradise. It's an island, a tropical island paradise, gardens, beautiful, uh, beautiful landscapes, servants, but the actual punishment here is that every thousand years or so, a hero will show up. Someone like Percy. And someone like Percy in many different ways. Because what will happen is the gods will send someone that needs Calypso's help. And she will help this hero. And there are two things that are always present in whatever hero shows up. First... It will be the type of hero that she can't help but fall in love with. And second, it will be a hero that must choose to leave. They, they will have some reason why they cannot stay. And she, of course, cannot leave. So she falls in love with Percy and offers for him to stay. But, of course, he knows he must leave. He has to go 
and make sure that Annabeth, Grover, Tyson, all of his friends are all right. And as he's on the island here, he gets a... Uh, he has a quick conversation with Hephaestus, who says, look, I'll tell you what you need to know, but let's be honest, you already know it. You just need clear sight. And Percy gets it. And that's when we move into the next chapter. Percy ends up back on a boat after saying a, a very difficult goodbye to Calypso. He, he says she will all, she would always be his greatest what if. Um, because she didn't just fall in love with him. He spent time there. He spent weeks there. Um, and really fell for her too in a pretty big way. But now he gets on this boat. He has it taken back to camp. And back at camp, he reconnects with Chiron. Um, after after crashing his own funeral, he reconnects with Chiron and Annabeth and explains his plan. His plan is to recruit Rachel Elizabeth Dare. So they go and have a meeting in New York City where they explain what's going on. Uh, Percy and Annabeth. And with their help, with, with Rachel Elizabeth Dare's help, they plan to delve once more into the labyrinth because of her her clear sight through the mist. And that's where we left off last week. What do y'all think? What do you think, folks? <laughs> it's going to be an exciting one. As I mentioned, uh, we have got chapters 14, 15, and 16 today. And then next week, we're doing a four-chapter week because uh, outro chapters tend to be pretty short. So uh, this week and next week are going to be within 200 words of each other. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, Dahlia, thank you for the gift sub last week, uh, says Addie. And then Big Mama says, when my son was moving to the West Coast this spring, I sang, you are my sunshine, as he was walking out the door. It feels like that today. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a tough one. My, my, I am, of course, as many of you all know, especially if you've gone over to listen to the first episode, which is now available to everyone as of Book Fair, subscription, no subscription, whatever, um, I have a podcast um, called Shelf Confidence, and the first episode is up there right now. Uh, if you have listened to that, then you know I am the oldest of six. Uh, and so I have to imagine that, um, you know, my, my first my first big departure was off to college, but I came home for a, a while after that pretty shortly. Um, and uh, you can find that whole thing if you watch the crafting stream from Book Fair, because uh, I, I got into my sort of, my history of college. But um, the... <sighs> The uh, the move out to California was, I think, easier for them, but harder for me. Uh, but um, the youngest has just gone off to college this year, and so yeah, for for my mom, I can I can only imagine what it's like. It's very strange. I can tell you, it's very strange for me to have her go off to college. She went a year early. Uh, she graduated from high school a year early because she's very talented and <laughs> she's very talented, very hardworking. She's really dedicated, and she did not want to be in high school anymore. So uh, she said, "You know what? There are two ways to not be in high school anymore. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick the hard way, but the good way." Sparkle Lovegood says, "I'm not sure how slash where to submit sound bites." So Sparkle Lovegood, um, you can go ahead, and um, I will be. I'll be sort of remarking on it over in Discord, but um, I am going to. Uh, I'll try to put it in two places essentially. First of all, I'm going to try to put a post up at the at um, at the beginning of the month. Uh, they're due by the fifth of every month, and so for instance, for November, uh, they'll be due by November fifth. And you can put them either in uh, the Soundbites channel over in Discord, uh, that's in the private patron library category, um, and uh, you should be able to find that there. 
but also I will be putting a post up on Patreon just so that people, just so I'm, I'm sure people will see that. So either spot. I'm considering making it a Google form just so that I know that I got all the information, but I'm going to give it another month, maybe two, um, to see like, you know, maybe maybe folks will sort of get the get the picture of it. But there is a whole post about it um, over on Patreon about how to actually do sound bites um, uh, because there there is some extra information beyond just the text that I do need to have. Um, so yeah, if you want to go check on Patreon, there is a post for it. Um, did I? You know what? I probably didn't. So let me go ahead and write myself a write myself a quick note here because uh, I need to put in a new command for this just so I can send people to the right spot to that proper link for sound bites. Actually, I do know I've got the link over here in my copy and paste bank. Let's see. Soundbites guide, here we go. Perfect. All right. Here's the post um, that you're looking for. Sparkle Love Good. That will give you, that's sort of a, a breakdown of like what I need from a, a soundbite. Uh, those are the guidelines. And then, uh, yeah, if you would like to um, jump on that, feel free to uh, yeah, feel free to submit them over in Discord or what have you. Like I said, I might be going to a, a Google form kind of thing. That might be the easiest eventually. I don't know. I don't know. All right. There we go. Um, let's see. Sound bites. Command. Holy crap. That might be my worst handwriting ever. I'm talking ever, and I do not have good handwriting in general. Look at that. Soundbytes command is what that supposedly says. Let's see if I can even read that later on. We're going to find out. Anyway, folks, I hope you enjoy. Uh, of course, if you are looking for back episodes on this, um, uh, you can find all of uh, our previous series, and you can find, um, uh, let's see, the f currently, uh, as of me recording this right now, you can find the first two... Almost f first two full books of Percy Jackson. Uh, if you look for Flying Sidecar, wherever it is you get podcasts. So uh, you can find it on uh, uh, on Spotify or wherever it is you like to get podcasts. If you f have a place you like to get podcasts and you don't see it there, let me know. But look for Flying Sidecar and you should see what you're, what you're looking for there. Um, I am working on it. Uh, I'm, I am close, frankly. I'm, I'm getting very close to having uh, all of... I'm very close to being totally caught up um, with the Percy Jackson business. So we should have, have that up there very soon. So if you're looking for back episodes, that's where you can find it. And with all of that said, I think... I think it's time to read. My favorite nerds, it's good to be here with you. It's good to be back. I, I'm still sort of like shaking off some of the, the like jitters slash anxiety slash um, just like being thrown off my schedule of book fair. I know it's been a long time. I shouldn't be. It's been it's been weeks at this point, but I'm still like I still feel off my a little off kilter. It's fine. I'm not worried about it, but it just feels odd. All right, folks, let's read. Chapter 14. I do indeed have to change my mouse settings. Chapter 14. My brother duels me to the death. The metal door was half hidden behind a laundry bin full of dirty hotel towels. 
I didn't see anything strange about it, but Rachel showed me where to look, and I recognized the faint blue symbol etched in the metal. It hasn't been used in a long time, Annabeth said. I tried to open it once, Rachel said, just out of curiosity. It's rusted shut. No, Annabeth stepped forward. It just needs the touch of a half-blood. Sure enough, as soon as Annabeth put her hand on the mark, it glowed blue. The metal door unsealed and creaked open, revealing a dark staircase leading down. Wow. Rachel looked calm, but I couldn't tell if she was pretending or not. She had changed into a ratty Museum of Modern Art t-shirt and her regular marker-colored jeans, her blue plastic hairbrush sticking out of her pocket. Her red hair was tied back, but she still had flecks of gold in it and traces of the gold glitter on her face. So, after you? You're the guide, Annabeth said with mock politeness. Lead on. The stairs led down to a large brick tunnel. It was so dark I couldn't see two feet in front of us, but Annabeth and I restocked the flashlights. But Annabeth and I had restocked on flashlights. As soon as we switched them on, Rachel yelped. A skeleton was grinning at us. It wasn't human. It was huge, for one thing. At least ten feet tall. It had been strung up, chained by the wrists, for one thing. It had been strung up, chained by its wrists and ankles, so it made a kind of giant X over the tunnel. But what really sent shivers down my spine was the single black eye socket at the center of its skull. A cyclops, Annabeth said. It's very old. It's not anybody we know. It wasn't Tyson, she meant. But that didn't make me feel much better. I still felt like it had been put there as a warning. Whatever could kill a full-grown cyclops, I didn't want to meet. Rachel swallowed. You have a friend who's a cyclops? Tyson, I said. My half-brother. Your half-brother? Hopefully we'll find him down here, I said. And Grover, he's a satyr. Oh. Her voice was small. Well then, we'd better keep moving. She stepped over the skeleton's left arm and kept walking. Annabeth and I exchanged looks. She stepped under the skeleton's left arm and kept walking. Annabeth and I exchanged looks. Annabeth shrugged. We followed Rachel deeper into the maze. After fifty feet, we came to a crossroads. Ahead, the brick tunnel continued. To the right, the walls were made of ancient marble slabs. To the left, the tunnel was dirt and tree roots. I pointed left. That looks like the tunnel that Tyson and Grover took. Annabeth frowned. Yeah, but the architecture to the right, those old stones, that's more likely to lead to an ancient part of the maze, toward Daedalus's workshop. We need to go straight, Rachel said. Annabeth and I both looked at her. That's the least likely choice, Annabeth said. You don't see it? Rachel asked. Look at the floor. I saw nothing except well-worn bricks and mud. There's a brightness there, Rachel insisted. Very faint, but forward is the correct way. To the left, further down the tunnel, 
those tree roots are feeling like those tree roots are moving like feelers. I don't like that. To the right, there's a trap about 20 feet down. Holes in the walls, maybe for spikes. I don't think we should risk it. I didn't see anything like what she was describing, but I nodded. Okay, forward. You believe her? Annabeth asked. Uh, yeah, I said. Don't you? Annabeth looked like she wanted to argue, but she waved at Rachel to lead on. Together we walked down the brick corridor. It twisted and turned, but there were no more side tunnels. We seemed to be angling down, heading deeper underground. So, uh, no traps? I asked anxiously. Nothing. Rachel knit her eyebrows. Should it be this easy? <laughs> I don't know, I said. I never was before. So, Rachel, Annabeth said, where are you from exactly? She said it like, what planet are you from? But Rachel didn't look offended. Brooklyn. Brooklyn, she said. Aren't your parents going to be worried if you're out late? Rachel exhaled. Not likely. I could be gone a week and they would never notice. Why not? This time Annabeth didn't sound as sarcastic. Having trouble with parents was something she understood. Before Rachel could answer, there was a creaking noise in front of us, like huge doors opening. What was that? Annabeth asked. I don't know, Rachel said. Metal hinges. Oh, that's very helpful. I mean, what is it? Then I heard heavy footsteps shaking the corridor, coming toward us. Run? I asked. Run? Rachel agreed. We turned and fled the way that we had come, but we didn't make it twenty feet before we ran straight into some old friends. Two dracane, snake women in Greek armor, leveled their javelins at our chests. Standing between them was Kelly, the Imposa cheerleader. Well, well, Kelly said. I uncapped Riptide, and Annabeth pulled her knife, but before my sword was even out of pen form, Kelly pounced on Rachel. Her hand turned into a claw, and she spun Rachel around, holding her tight with her talons at Rachel's neck. Taking your little mortal pet out for a walk, Rachel asked me. They're such fragile things, so easy to break. Behind us, the footsteps came closer. A huge form appeared out of the gloom, an eight-foot-tall Lestragonian giant with red eyes and fangs. The giant licked his lips when he saw us. Can I eat them? No, Kelly said. Your master will want these. They'll provide a great deal of entertainment. She smiled at me. Now, march, half-bloods, or you all die here, starting with the mortal girl. It was pretty much my worst nightmare. And believe me, I've had plenty of nightmares. We were marched down the tunnel, flanked by Dracane, with Kelly and the giant in back, just in case we tried to run for it. Nobody seemed to worry about us running forward. That was the direction they wanted us to go. Up ahead, I could see bronze doors. They were about ten feet tall, 
emblazoned with a pair of crossed swords. From behind them came a muffled roar, like from a crowd. Oh, yes, said the snake woman on my left. <laughs> Sorry. You'll be very popular with our host. I'd never gotten a look at a Dracane up close before, and I wasn't real thrilled to have the opportunity. She would have had a beautiful face, except her tongue was forked and her eyes were yellow with black slits for pupils. She wore bronze armor that stopped at her waist. Below that, where her legs should have been, were two massive snake trunks, mottled bronze and green. She moved by a combination of slithering and walking, as if she were on living skis. "'Who's your host?' I asked. She hissed, which might have been a laugh. Oh, you'll see. You'll get along furiously. He's your brother, after all. My what? Immediately I thought of Tyson, but that was impossible. What was she talking about? The giant pushed past us and opened the doors. He picked up Annabeth by her shirt and said, You stay here. Hey. She protested, but the guy was twice her size, and he'd already confiscated her knife and my sword. Kelly laughed. She still had her claws in Rachel's neck. Come on, Percy, entertain us. We'll wait here with your friends and make sure that you behave. I looked at Rachel. I'm sorry. I'll get you out of this. She nodded, as much as she could, with a demon at her throat. That would be nice. The Dracane prodded me toward the doorway at Javelin Point, and I walked out onto the floor of an arena. I guess it wasn't the largest arena I'd ever been in, but it seemed pretty spacious considering the whole place was underground. The dirt floor was circular, just enough that you could drive a car around the rim if you pulled in really tight. In the center of the arena, a fight was going on between a giant and a centaur. The centaur looked panicked. He was galloping around he was galloping around his enemy using sword and shield, while the giant swung a javelin the size of a telephone pole, and the crowd cheered. The first tier of seats were twelve feet above the arena floor. Plain stone benches wrapped all the way around, and every seat was full. There were giants, dracane, demigods, telekines, and stranger things. Uh, Bat-winged demons and creatures that seemed half-human and half-you-name-it—bird, reptile, insect, mammal. But the creepiest things were the skulls. The arena was full of them. They ringed the edge of the railing. Three-foot-high piles of them decorated the steps between the benches. They grinned from pikes at the back of stands and hung on chains from the ceiling like horrible chandeliers. Some of them looked very old. Nothing but bleached white bone. Others looked a lot fresher. I'm not going to describe them. Believe me, you don't want me to. In the middle of all of this, proudly displayed on the side of the spectator's wall, was something that made no sense to me at all. A green banner with the trident a green banner with the trident of Poseidon in the center. 
What was that doing in a horrible place like this? Above the banner, sitting in the seat of honor, was an old enemy. Luke, I said. I'm not sure he could hear me over the roar of the crowd, but he smiled coldly. He was wearing camouflage pants, a white t-shirt, and bronze breastplate, just like I'd seen in my dream. But he wasn't wearing his sword, which I thought was strange. Next to him sat the largest giant I had ever seen, much larger than the one on the floor fighting the centaur. The giant next to Luke must have been 15 feet tall, easy, and so wide he took up three seats. He wore only a loincloth, like a sumo wrestler. His skin was dark red and tattooed with blue wave designs. I figured he must be Luke's new bodyguard or something. There was a cry from the arena floor, and I jumped back as the centaur crashed to the dirt beside me. He met my eyes, pleadingly. Help! I reached for my sword, but it had been taken from me and had not reappeared in my pocket yet. The centaur struggled to get up as the giant approached, his javelin ready. A taloned hand gripped my shoulder. If you value your friends' lives, my Dracane guard said, you won't interfere. This isn't your fight. Wait your turn. The centaur couldn't get up. One of its legs was broken. The giant put his huge foot on the horseman's chest and raised the javelin. He looked up at Luke. The crowd cheered, Death! 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 Luke didn't do anything. But the tattooed sumo dude sitting next to him arose. He smiled down at the centaur who was whimpering. Please! No! Then the sumo dude held out his hand and gave the thumbs down sign. I closed my eyes as the gladiator giant thrust his javelin. When I looked again, the centaur was gone, disintegrated to ashes. All that was left was a single hoof, which the giant took up as a trophy and showed to the crowd. They roared their approval. A gate opened at the opposite end of the stadium, and the giant marched out in triumph. In the stands, the sumo dude raised his hands for silence. Good entertainment, he bellowed, but nothing I haven't seen before. What else do you have, Luke, son of Hermes? Luke's jaw tightened. I could tell he did not like being called son of Hermes. He hated his father. But he rose calmly to his feet. His eyes glittered. In fact, he seemed to be in a pretty good mood. Lord Antaeus, Luke said, loud enough for the crowd to hear. You have been an excellent host. We will be happy to amuse you to repay the favor of passing through your territory. A favor I have not yet granted, Antaeus growled. I want entertainment! Luke bowed. I believe I've got something better than centaurs to fight in your arena now. I got a brother of yours, he pointed at me, Percy Jackson, son of Poseidon. 
The crowd began jeering at me and throwing stones, most of which I dodged, but one caught me in the cheek and made a good-sized cut. Antaeus's eyes lit up. A son of Poseidon! Then he should fight well! Or die well! If his death pleases you, Luke said, will you let our armies cross your territory? Perhaps! Antaeus said. Luke didn't look too pleased about the perhaps. He glared down at me, as if warning me that I'd be... as if warning me that I'd better die in a really spectacular way, or I'd be in big trouble. Luke, Annabeth yelled, stop this. Stop this. Let us go. Luke seemed to notice her for the first... You know what? No, that was such a lame delivery. I, I gotta come clean with y'all. I picked this Annabeth voice a long time ago because I wanted to try to do something really different from uh, <laughs> from uh, Hermione. And she, I mean, she does a lot of shouting and this particular voice is just not conducive to shouting. Rats. But I'm gonna stick with it because, hey, it's a, it's a chance for me to grow. Just know that this is one of my... This is one of my stickiest growth points, is uh, trying to give Annabeth, like, the um, uh, the volume she deserves. There you go. <laughs> Luke! Annabeth yelled. Stop this! Let us go! Luke seemed to notice her for the first time. He looked stunned for a moment. Annabeth? Enough! Time for the females to fight afterward, Antaeus interrupted. First, Percy Jackson, what weapons will you choose? The Dracane pushed me to the middle of the arena. I stared up at Antaeus. How can you be a son of Poseidon? I am his favorite son, Antaeus boomed. Behold my temple to the earth shaker, built from the bones of all those I've killed in his name. Your skull shall join them. I stared in horror at all the skulls, hundreds of them, and the banner of Poseidon. How could this be a temple for my dad? My dad was a nice guy. He'd never asked me for a Father's Day card, much less somebody else's skull. Percy, Annabeth yelled at me. His mother is Gaia. Gaia. Her Lestragonian captor clamped his hand over her mouth. His mother is Gaia, the Earth goddess. Annabeth was trying to tell me that was important, but I didn't know why. Maybe just because the guy had two godly parents that would make him harder to kill? You're crazy, Antaeus, I said. If you think this is a good tribute, you don't know anything about Poseidon. The crowd screamed insults at me, but Antaeus raised his hand for silence. Weapons, he insisted. And then we will see how you die. Will you have axes, shields, nets, flamethrowers? Just my sword, I said. Laughter erupted from the monsters, but immediately Riptide appeared in my hands, and some of the voices in the crowd turned nervous. The bronze blade glowed in faint light. Round one! Antaeus announced. 
The gates opened and a dracane slithered out. She had a trident in one hand and a weighted net in the other, classic gladiator style. I'd trained against those weapons at camp for years. She jabbed at me, experimentally. I stepped away. She threw her net, hoping to tangle my sword hand, but I sidestepped easily, sliced her spear in half, and stabbed Riptide through a chink in her armor. With a painful wail, she vaporized into nothing, and the cheering of the crowd died. No! Antaeus bellowed. Too fast! You must wait for the kill! Only I give that order! I glanced over at Annabeth and Rachel. I had to find a way to get them free, maybe distract their guards. Nice job, Percy, Luke smiled. You've gotten better with the sword. I'll grant you that. Round two, Antaeus yelled. And slower this time, more entertainment. Wait for my call before killing anybody. Or else. The gates opened again, and this time a young warrior came out. He was a little older than me, about sixteen. He had glossy black hair, and his left eye was covered with an eye patch. He was thin and wiry, so his Greek armor hung from him loosely. He stabbed his sword into the dirt, adjusted his shield straps, and pulled on his horsehair helmet. Who are you? I asked. Ethan Nakamura, he said. I have to kill you. Why are you doing this? Hurry! A monster jeered from the stands. Stop fighting and... (laughs) Hey! A monster jeered from the stands. Stop fighting! Oh, I did it again! (laughs) Stop talking and fight already! Others took up the call. I have to prove myself, Ethan told me. Only way to join up. And with that, he charged. Our swords met in midair and the crowd roared. It didn't seem right. I didn't want to fight to entertain a bunch of monsters, but Ethan Nakamura wasn't giving me much choice. He pressed forward. He was good. He'd never been at Camp Half-Blood, as far as I knew, but he'd been trained. He parried my strike and almost slammed me with his shield, but I jumped back. He slashed. I rolled to one side. We exchanged thrusts and parries, giving a fell... Getting a fell... There it is. Getting a feel for each other's fighting style. I tried to keep on Ethan's blind side, but it didn't help much. He'd apparently been fighting with only one eye for a long time, because he was excellent at guarding his left. Blood! The monsters cried. My opponent glanced up at the stands. That was his weakness, I realized. He needed to impress them. I didn't. He yelled an angry battle cry and charged at me, but I parried his blade and backed away, letting him come after me. Boo! Antaeus shouted. Stand and fight! Ethan pressed me, but I had no trouble defending, even without a shield. He was dressed for defense, heavy armor and shield, and it made it very tiring to play offense. I was a softer target, but I was also lighter and faster. The crowd went nuts, yelling complaints and throwing rocks. We'd been fighting for almost five minutes and there was no blood. Finally, Ethan made his mistake. 
He tried to jab at my stomach, and I locked his sword hilt in mine and twisted. His sword dropped to the dirt. Before he could recover, I slammed the butt of my sword into his helmet and pushed him down. His heavy armor helped me more than him. He fell on his back, dazed and tired, and I put the sword and I put the tip of my sword on his chest. Get it over with, Ethan groaned. I looked up at Antaeus. His red face was stony with displeasure, but he held up his hands and put his thumb down. And forget it, I sheathed my sword. Don't be a fool, Ethan groaned. They'll just kill us both. I offered him my hand. Reluctantly, he took it. I helped him up. No one dishonors the games, Antaeus bellowed. Your heads shall both be tributes to Poseidon. I looked at Ethan. When you see your chance, run. Then I turned back to Antaeus. Why don't you fight me yourself? If you got Dad's favor, come down here and prove it. The monsters grumbled in the stands. Antaeus looked around and apparently realized he had no choice. He couldn't say no without looking like a coward. I am the greatest wrestler in the world, boy, he warned. I have been wrestling since the first Pancration. Pancration? I asked. It means fighting to the death, Ethan said. No rules, no holds barred. It used to be an Olympic sport. Thanks for the help, I said. Don't mention it. Rachel was watching me with wide eyes. Annabeth shook her head emphatically, the Lestragonian's hand still clamped over her mouth. I pointed my sword at Antaeus. Winner takes all. I win, we all go free. You win, we die. Swear it upon the river Styx. Antaeus laughed. <laughs> this shouldn't take long. I swear to your terms. He leapt off the railing into the arena. Good luck, Ethan told me. You'll need it. Then he backed up quickly. Antaeus cracked his knuckles. He grinned. And I saw that even his teeth were etched in wave patterns, which must have made brushing after meals a real pain. Weapons, he asked. I'll stick with my sword. You? He held up his huge hands and wiggled his fingers. I don't need anything else. Master Luke, you will referee this one. Luke smiled down at me. With pleasure. Antaeus lunged. I rolled under his legs and stabbed him in the back of the thigh. He yelled. But where blood should have come out, there was a spout of sand, like I'd busted the side of an hourglass. It spilled into the dirt floor, and the dirt collected around his leg, almost like a cast. When the dirt fell away, the wound was gone. He charged again. Fortunately, I'd had some experience fighting giants. I dodged sideways this time and stabbed him under the arm. Riptide's blade was buried to the hilt in his ribs. That was the good news, 
The bad news was that it was wrenched out of my hand when the giant turned and I was thrown across the arena, weaponless. Antaeus bellowed in pain. I waited for him to disintegrate. No monster had ever withstood a direct hit from my sword like that. The celestial bronze blade had to be destroying his essence. But Antaeus groped for the hilt, pulled out the sword, and tossed it behind him. More sand poured from the wound, but again the earth rose up to cover him. Dirt coated his body all the way to the shoulders. And as soon as the dirt spilled away, Antaeus was fine. Now you see why I never lose, demigod! Antaeus gloated. Come here and let me crush you. I'll make it quick. Antaeus stood between me and my sword. Desperately, I glanced to either side and caught Annabeth's eye. The earth, I thought. What had Annabeth been trying to tell me? Antaeus' mother was Gaia the Earth Mother, the most ancient goddess of all. Antaeus' father might be Poseidon, but Gaia was keeping him alive. I couldn't hurt him as long as he was touching the ground. I tried to skirt around him, but Antaeus anticipated my move. He blocked my path, chuckling. He was just toying with me now. He had me cornered. I looked up at the chains hanging from the ceiling, dangling the skulls of his enemies on hooks. And suddenly... I had an idea. I fainted to the other side. Antaeus blocked me. The crowd jeered and screamed at Antaeus to finish me off, but he was having too much fun. Puny boy, he said. Not worthy. Not a worthy son of the sea god. I felt my pen return to my pocket, but Antaeus wouldn't know about that. He would think Riptide was still in the dirt behind him. He would think my goal was to get my sword. It wasn't much of an advantage, but it was all I had. I charged straight ahead, crouching low so he would think I was going to roll between his legs again. While he was stooping, ready to catch me like a grounder, I jumped for all I was worth, kicking off his forearm, scrambling up his shoulder like a ladder, placing my shoe on his head. He did the natural thing. He straightened up indignantly and yelled, Hey! I pushed off, using his force to catapult me toward the ceiling. I caught the top of a chain, and the skulls and hooks jangled beneath me. I wrapped my legs around the chain, just like I did on the ropes course during gym class. I drew Riptide and sawed the chain off next to me. Come down here, coward! Antaeus bellowed. He tried to grab me, but I was just out of reach. Hanging on for dear life, I yelled, hey, Come up and get me! Oh, are you too slow and fat? He howled and made another grab for me. He caught a chain and tried to pull himself up. While he was struggling, I lowered my sawed-off chain, hook first. It took me two tries, but finally I snagged Antaeus' loincloth. He yelled. Quickly, I slipped the chain free through the fastening link on my own chain, pulled it taut, and secured it the best that I could. Antaeus tried to slip back down to the ground, but he stayed suspended by his loincloth. He had to hold on to the other chains with both hands to avoid getting flipped upside down. I prayed the loincloth and the chain would hold up for a few more seconds. While Antaeus cursed and flailed, I scrambled around the chains, cutting and swinging like some sort of crazed monkey. I made loops with hooks and metal links. I don't know how I did it. My mom always said I had a gift for getting stuff tangled up. Plus, I was desperate to save my friends. 
Anyway, within a couple of minutes, the giant was suspended above the ground, hopelessly snarled in links and hooks. I dropped to the floor, panting and sweaty. My hands were raw from climbing. Get me down! Antaeus demanded. Free him, Luke ordered. He is our host. I uncapped Riptide. I'll free him. And I stabbed the giant in the stomach. He bellowed, and sand poured out, but he was too far up to touch the earth, and the dirt did not rise to help him. Antaeus just dissolved, pouring out bit by bit, until there was nothing left but empty swinging chains. A really big loincloth on a hook, and a bunch of grinning skulls dancing above me like they had finally got something to smile about. Jackson, Luke yelled, I should have killed you a long time ago. You tried, I reminded him. Let us go, Luke. We had a sworn agreement with Antaeus. I'm the winner. He did just what I expected. He said, Antaeus is dead. His oath dies with him. But since I'm feeling merciful today, I'll have you killed quickly. He pointed at Annabeth. He spared the girl. His voice quavered a little. I would speak to her before... before our great triumph. Every monster in the audience drew a weapon or extended its claws. We were trapped, hopelessly outnumbered. And then I felt something in my pocket. A freezing sensation, growing colder and colder. The dog whistle. My fingers closed around it. For days, I had avoided using Kintus's gift. It had to be a trap, but now I had no choice. I took it out of my pocket and blew. It made no audible sound as I shattered it into... F it made no audible sound as I... PDF, man. It made no audible sound as it shattered into shards of ice, melting in my hand. Luke laughed. <laughs> what, what was that supposed to do? From behind me came a surprised yelp. The Lastragonian giant who had been guarding Annabeth flew past me and smashed into the wall. <sighs> Kelly the Ampusa screamed as a 500-pound black mastiff picked her up like a chew toy and tossed her through the air straight into Luke's lap. Mrs. O'Leary snarled, and the two Dracane guards backed away. For a moment, the monsters in the audience were caught completely by surprise. Let's go! I yelled at my friends. Heal, Mrs. O'Leary! The far exit, Rachel cried. That's the right way! Ethan Nakamura took his cue. Together we raced across the arena and out the far exit, Mrs. O'Leary right behind us. As we ran, I could hear the disorganized sounds of an entire army trying to jump out of the stands and follow us. <laughs> Off they go. All right, folks, that was the end of our first chapter, and I had to do a lot of Antaeus shouting, so I am going to go grab some water. This is not 
a full break. I'm literally just going to go grab water, and I'm going to come back down. Uh, and uh, Tanisha, so here's the deal. Some of these do sound fairly similar. I, uh, and when, especially when I've got short lines, and I have not practiced this one much, I admit that. Um, Tanisha is actually closer. Tanisha, you're very close. We'll see if we'll see if y'all can figure it out later on because I do I do have some more dialogue with Ethan Nakamura soon. All right, I'll be right back. Uh, no, I'm I'm on Discord, Jade. Although I will admit, I do think there might be something weird going on because I see Dahlia over there, but for like the first, I mean, this is the first time I've seen anybody over there. It's been empty the whole night, so yeah, is it looking like there's nothing going on on Discord? Because like I'm I'm definitely on there. I've I've been live the whole time. Rutro. Discord being wonky? All right, I gotta go grab water. I'll be back. <laughs> Lots of yelling at Zontaeus. Be quiet. Shh. I didn't realize Mama Cass was home. She is. She's on a video call out in the kitchen. I didn't realize she was home. Shh. Everyone be quiet. I've just been in here yelling like a maniac. What is that going to sound like on her end? She's trying to talk about important business things, and I'm in here. Hey, folks. Oh, Tenacious got it. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll admit, hey, this is one I have not practiced much, uh, but it seemed like a decent opportunity to give it a shot. So uh, yeah, Tanisha, you've got it right. Um, we will see if it sounds even close. Uh, my Kiwi is not one that I have practiced a lot, but um, hey, only one way to get better, huh? So folks, what do you think of our first chapter of the evening? We're back with uh, Luke, and it seems like Luke is trying to make his way through the maze. Uh, we know that we know what he's looking for, right? We know he is trying to find the string of Ariadne because that is the best way to navigate the maze. He needs that in order to make his way uh, to Camp Half-Blood and officially sort of take the thing over. Once they have defeated Camp Half-Blood, uh, once they invade Camp Half-Blood, they're going to be in really good shape here. Now... Uh, Percy and his friends are, of course, trying to prevent this. Tyson and Grover are somewhere off in the maze. Unsure exactly where, but they're separated. Uh, they have got a guide who is pretty much totally new to this world. They're in a rough spot here. 
Um, in spite of this, Percy does manage to rescue not just himself and his friends, but also, it seems, another half-blood, this Ethan Nakamura. Um, and uh, we saw that Ethan Nakamura, it looks like he was trying to join up with Luke. It seems like there was something about having to prove himself. But um, he also he also told Percy just to end the fight. He told Percy to kill him. So what does this mean for uh, for what it is that Ethan Nakamura is trying to accomplish? What does he want from the world? And, and why is it that he wouldn't want to uh, sort of have at least some second chance? So that's what I want you all to keep an eye on. Uh, in the meantime, let us continue on, I think. Y'all know we had a good week last week, but uh, and even earlier this week. But now the heat's back because um, it doesn't it doesn't fully go away until like like mid November. So uh, I've got the AC back on. You can see I'm back in my regular getup. Uh, earlier this week I was in like a, a sweater. I had a, a scarf on at some point because I'm just a, such a fancy boy. But uh, no dice on that front. Not today. Not today. Um, and if you're wondering. Uh, if you're wondering what the scarf looked like, well, as a matter of fact, it's the exact same thing that I use for sort of the main body of my tunic for my, uh, my Viking cleric outfit. And if you want to find out what my Viking cleric outfit looks like, head over to Discord. Uh, you can check out the creativity channel where I have got, uh, I did not make it a full thread, um, but you can find the link to the Discord right here in the links. This is the link tree. This is the link to, to visit if you want to know about all things sidecar stories. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash sidecar stories. That's the one to visit, but it's also the one to share. So if y'all are sharing about the show, that is the perfect way uh, to help sort of spread the word about sidecar stories. Fabriella says, I have to wonder how devoted Luke really is. He obviously still has a soft spot for Annabeth, and I know it's not likely, but I kind of wonder if he's going to end up cracking under the pressure or maybe even turning back to good. That's a really good observation, Fabriella. He definitely seems to, like, oftentimes he, when he encounters sort of the opposition, it's Percy. It's not really Annabeth as well. Um, it's been Annabeth occasionally, but for the most part, he sees Percy. Percy's the one that he sort of, like, squares off against. And now that he and Annabeth are here at the same place at the same time, he, I mean, he's, he's blatant about it. I, I just want to talk to her. And he hasn't really had that chance for the most part. Um, so, I mean, I'm curious, if nothing else, just to know what he would say. Would he try to defend what he's doing? Would he express that he's trapped somehow? Would he try to bring Annabeth over to his side? Only one way to find out, huh? As far as I'm aware, there's really just the one way to be sure. What happens next? Uh, those of you who are listening here on Twitch right now, uh, do let me know um, if uh, the live stream... Oh, I wonder if the live stream has got some settings changed up. Uh, let's see. Yep, there it is. I figured it out. Okay, that's why there was nobody in here. Okay. I found it. There we go. Live stream channel should be, should be uh, visible again, I think. Uh, over on over on Discord. I got you. Okay. Uh, and I think it's a matter of... I think the permissions are getting changed. I, I have an, an, an idea of who it might be, but uh, I think let's keep the... 
Let's keep the permissions the same all week. I don't mind if people are joined in the live stream channel just at random during the week. Um, uh, but this way, nobody forgets. And because uh, I, I, I've had to change that a number of times uh, in the past. Uh, as long as we keep the the like, as long as people aren't able to join as speakers, they would just have to request speaking. Then I think it's fine to just leave these permissions how they're how they how they is how they be how they do how they are. Okay. Uh, and with that, folks, let's talk about a little bit of review just for this last chapter. Um, Arena fight. That's the heart of it. Uh, Rachel and uh, Rachel Elizabeth Dare leads Percy and Annabeth back down into the um, back down into the labyrinth, and she is able to protect them from a couple of traps, as far as we can tell. Seems like Percy's theory was correct. This is indeed the way to navigate this maze. This is what Hera apparently told him a long time ago, even though he she was sort of speaking in code. This is what Hephaestus was was clarifying for him. Rachel is the way through the maze. However, it's not all easy going. Uh, they end up in an arena here inside the labyrinth. Uh, an arena of Antaeus. Uh, he is a wrestler from Greek mythology, like the big boy wrestler. Uh, son of uh, a, a child of the parent Gaia, the earth goddess, and then um, uh, Poseidon, he is a heck of a fighter, and he claims that this this arena, this temple of death, is a temple in Poseidon's honor. Um, all these skulls everywhere, that doesn't seem to make much sense to Percy. Um, but truly, uh, when he squares off against Antaeus with the promise that he and his friends will be let go... Um, or they will all be killed, depending on who wins this fight, uh, he manages to uh, to separate Antaeus from the thing that seemingly keeps him alive. If he's touching the ground, uh, then the ground will sort of swell up and heal him. Uh, and so Percy hangs him from the ceiling by a bunch of chains uh, and then gives him a big old slice, and that is the end of Antaeus, at least in as much as any monster truly meets their end in this universe. Um and then, of course, Luke does about what Percy expects, which is to say, uh, I don't honor that deal that you made with him. You're mine now. Uh, but Percy, knowing that there's a big risk that it's just a trap, he does indeed use that, that dog whistle that was given to him by Kintus. And here comes, uh, <laughs> here comes Mrs. O'Leary, the enormous hellhound, um, and she provides sufficient distraction for Percy Annabeth, Rachel Elizabeth Dare, and Ethan Nakamura to escape. Ethan, of course, being this new unknown half-blood uh, with an eye patch that we have never met before, but uh, Percy sort of spared in his fight right before Percy fought Antaeus. And that is where we're at, folks. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. My name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and I hope you enjoy the next chapter. This is our second of three chapters for today. Please enjoy chapter 15. of Percy Jackson and the Olympians, book four, The Battle of the Labyrinth. Chapter 15. We steal some slightly used wings. This way, Rachel yelled. Why should we follow you? Annabeth demanded. You let us straight into that death trap. 
It was the way that you needed to go, Rachel said. And so is this. Come on. Annabeth didn't look happy about it, but she read along with the rest of us. But she ran along with the rest of us. Rachel seemed to know exactly where she was going. She whipped around corners and didn't even hesitate at crossroads. Once, she said, Duck! And we all crouched as a huge axe swung over our heads. Then we kept going as if nothing had happened. I lost track of how many turns we made. We didn't stop to rest until we came to a room the size of a gymnasium, with old marble columns holding up the roof. I stood at the doorway, listening for sounds of pursuit, but I heard nothing. Apparently, we'd lost Luke and his minions in the maze. Then I realized something else. Mrs. O'Leary was gone. I didn't know when she had disappeared. I didn't know she'd gotten lost or been overrun. I didn't know if she'd gotten lost or been overrun by monsters or what. My heart turned to lead. She'd saved our lives, and I hadn't even waited to make sure she was following us. Ethan collapsed on the floor. You people are crazy. He pulled off his helmet. His voice gleamed. His voice? Also, what was that? <laughs> Ethan collapsed on the floor. You people are crazy. He pulled off his helmet. His face gleamed with sweat. Annabeth gasped. I remember you. You were one of the undetermined kids in the Hermes cabin. Years ago. He glared at her. Yeah. George Annabeth, I remember. What, what happened to your eye? Ethan looked away, and I got the feeling that was one subject he would not discuss. So you must be the half-blood from my dream, I said. The one that Luke's people cornered, it, it wasn't Nico after all. Who's Nico? Never mind, Annabeth said quickly. Why are you trying to join up with the wrong side? Ethan sneered. It is no right side. The gods never cared about us. Why shouldn't I... Sign up with an army that makes you fight to the death for entertainment? Annabeth said. Gee, I wonder. Ethan struggled to his feet. I'm not going to argue with you. Thanks for the help, but I'm out of here. We're going after Daedalus, I said. Come with us. Once we get through, you'll be welcome back at the camp. You really are crazy if you think Daedalus will help you. He has to, Annabeth said. We'll make him listen. Ethan snorted. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I grabbed his arm. You're just going to head off alone into the maze? That's suicide. He looked at me with barely controlled anger. His eye patch was frayed around the edges and the black cloth was faded, like he'd been wearing it for a long, long time. You shouldn't have spared me, Jackson. Missy has no place in this war. Then he ran off into the darkness, back the way that he had come. By the way, everybody who's listening, you gotta let me know if that if that uh, thunder sound effect cuts off all weird at the end. Hmm.
Hmm. Hmm. Let me know. Annabeth, Rachel, and I were so exhausted we made camp right in there. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Annabeth, Rachel, and I were so exhausted we made camp right there in the huge room. I found some scrap wood and we started a fire. Shadows danced off the columns rising around us like trees. Something was wrong with Luke, Annabeth muttered, pointing at the fire with her knife. Did you realize the way he was acting? What is that noise? Do y'all hear that in the background? There's somebody revving an engine outside, but it's not the regular it's not the regular kind. It's just They did it for like a full 60 seconds. Hello? Something was wrong with Luke, Annabeth muttered, poking at the fire with her knife. Did you notice the way he was acting? Yeah, he looked pretty pleased to me, I said. Like he'd spent a nice day torturing heroes. That's not true. There was something wrong with him. He looked nervous. He told his monsters to spare me. He wanted to tell me something. Probably... Hey, Annabeth, sit here and watch me while I tear your friends apart. It'll be fun. You're impossible, Annabeth grumbled. She sheathed her dagger and looked at Rachel. So, which way now, Sakagawea? Rachel didn't respond right away. She'd become quieter since the arena. Now, whenever Annabeth made a sarcastic comment, Rachel hardly bothered to answer. She burned the tip of a stick in the fire and was using it to draw ash figures on the floor. Images of the monsters that we'd seen. With a few strokes, she caught the likeness of a dracane perfectly. Hello, Jujubee. How do you do? Good to have you here. You came all the way from Brazil. It must have been a tough trek. It's good to have you here. We are currently reading Percy Jackson. We're reading book four. If you want to find out what uh, what this is all about, go ahead and wherever you find podcasts, go check out Flying Sidecar. You'll be able to find it there. We'll follow the path, she said. The brightness on the floor? The brightness that led us straight into a trap? Annabeth asked. Hey, lay off of her, Annabeth, I said. She's doing the best she can. Annabeth stood. The fire's getting low. I'll go look for some more scraps while you talk strategy. And she marched off into the shadows. Rachel drew another figure with her stick an ashy Antaeus dangling from his chains. <laughs> Annabeth's not usually like this, I told her. I don't know what her problem is. Rachel raised her eyebrows. Are you sure you don't know? What do you mean? Boys, she muttered, totally blind. Hey, you don't get on my case too. Look, I'm sorry I got you involved in this. No, you were right, she said. I can see the path. I can't explain it, but it's really clear. She pointed toward the other end of the room, into the darkness. The workshop is that way. The heart of the maze. We're very close now. I don't know why the path led through the arena. I, I'm sorry about that. I thought you were going to die. She sounded like she was close to crying. 
Hey, I'm usually about to die, I promised. Don't feel bad. She studied my face. So, do you do this every summer? Fight monsters, save the world? You don't ever just do, like, normal stuff? I'd never really thought about it like that. The last time I'd had something like a normal life had been... Well, never. Half-bloods get used to it, I guess. Well, maybe not get used to it, but... I shifted uncomfortably. What about you? What do you do normally? Rachel shrugged. I paint. I read a lot. Okay, I thought. So far we were scoring like a zero on the similarities chart. So what about your family? I could sense her mental shields going up like this was not a safe subject. Oh, you know, they're just family. You said that they wouldn't notice if you were gone. She set down her walking stick. Walking stick. She set down her drawing stick. Wow, I'm really tired. I may sleep for a while, okay? Oh, sure. Hey, sorry if... But Rachel was already curling up, using her backpack as a pillow. She closed her eyes and lay very still, but I got the feeling she wasn't really asleep. A few minutes later, Annabeth came back. She tossed some more sticks on the fire. She looked at Rachel and then at me. I'll take the first watch, she said. You should sleep too. You don't have to act like that. Like what? Like, never mind. I lay down, feeling miserable. I was so tired I fell asleep as soon as my eyes closed. my dreams, I heard laughter. Cold, harsh laughter, like knives being sharpened. I was standing at the edge of a pit in the depths of Tartarus. Below me the darkness seethed like inky soup. So close to your own destruction. The voice of Kronos chided. And still you are blind. The voice was different than it had been before. It seemed almost physical now, as if he were speaking from a real body instead of whatever he'd been in his chopped up condition. Kronos said. You have assured my rise. The shadows in the cavern became deeper and heavier. I tried to back away from the edge of the pit, but it was like swimming through oil. Time slowed down. My breathing almost stopped. 
a favor, Kronos said. The Titan Lord always pays his debts. Perhaps a glimpse of the friends you abandoned. The darkness rippled around me, and I was in a different cave. Mmm, hurry, Tyson said. He came barreling into the room. Grover stumbled along behind him. There was a rumbling in the corridor that they'd come from, and the head of an enormous snake burst into the cave. I mean, this thing was so big its body barely fit through the tunnel. Its scales were coppery, its head was diamond-shaped like a rattler, and its yellow eyes glowed with hatred. When it opened its mouth, the fangs were as tall as Tyson. It lashed at Grover, but Grover scampered out of the way. The snake got a mouthful of dirt. Tyson picked up a boulder and threw it at the monster, smacking it between the eyes, but the snake just recoiled and hissed. It's going to eat you, Grover yelled at Tyson. Mm, how do you know? It just told me, run! Tyson darted to one side, but the snake used its head like a club and knocked him off of his feet. No! Grover yelled, but before Tyson could regain his balance, the snake wrapped around him and started to squeeze. Tyson strained, pushing with all of his massive strength, but the snake squeezed tighter. Grover frantically hit the snake with his reed pipes, but he might as well have been banging against a stone wall. The whole room shook as the snake flexed its muscles, shuddering to overcome Tyson's strength. Grover began to play the pipes, and stalactites rang down from the ceiling. The whole cave seemed about to collapse. I woke with a start, with Annabeth shaking my shoulder. Percy, wake up. Tyson! Ty Tyson's in trouble! I said. We have to help him. First things first, she said. Earthquake. Sure enough, the room was rumbling. Rachel! I yelled. Her eyes opened instantly. She grabbed her pack and the three of us ran. We were almost to the far tunnel when a column next to us groaned and buckled. We kept going as a hundred tons of marble crashed down behind us. We made it to the corridor just in time to see the other columns toppling. A cloud of white dust billowed over us, and we kept running. You know what? Annabeth said. I like this way after all. It wasn't long before we saw light up ahead. Just regular electric lighting. There, Rachel said. We followed her into a stainless steel hallway, like I imagine they'd had in a space station or something. Fluorescent lights glowed from the ceiling. The floor was a metal grate. I was so used to being in darkness that I had to squint. Annabeth and Rachel looked pale in the harsh illumination. This way, Rachel said, beginning to run. We're close. This is so wrong, Annabeth said. The workshop should be in the oldest section of the maze. This can't... She faltered, because we'd arrived at a set of metal double doors. Inscribed in the steel, at eye level was a large blue Greek delta. We're here, Rachel announced. Daedalus's workshop.
Annabeth pressed the symbol on the doors, and they hissed open. So much for ancient architecture, I said. Annabeth scowled. Together, we walked inside. The first thing that struck me was the daylight. Blazing sun coming through the giant windows, not the kind of thing you expect to see in the heart of a dungeon. The workshop was like an artist's studio, with 30-foot ceilings and industrial lighting, polished stone floors and workbenches along the windows. A spiral staircase led up to a second-story a spiral staircase led up to a second-story loft. Half a dozen easels displayed hand-drawn diagrams for buildings and machines that looked like Leonardo da Vinci sketches. Several laptop computers were scattered around on the tables. Glass jars of green oil, Greek fire, lined one shelf. There were inventions, too. Weird metal machines I couldn't make any sense of. One was a bronze chair with a bunch of electric wires attached to it, like some kind of torture device. In another corner stood a giant metal egg about the size of a man. It was a grandfather clock that appeared to be made entirely of glass, so you could see all the gears turning. And hanging on the wall were several sets of bronze and silver wings. Di immortalis, Annabeth muttered. She ran to the nearest easel and looked at the sketch. He's a genius. Look at the curves on this building. And an artist, Rachel said in amazement. These wings are amazing. The wings looked more advanced than the ones I'd seen in my dreams. The feathers were more tightly interwoven. Instead of wax seals, self-adhesive strips ran down the sides. I kept my hand on Riptide. Apparently, Daedalus was not at home, but the workshop looked like it had been used recently. The laptops were running on their screensavers. A half-eaten blueberry muffin and a coffee cup sat on a workbench. I walked to the window. The view outside was amazing. I recognized the Rocky Mountains in the distance. We were high up in the foothills, at least 500 feet, and down below a valley spread out, filled with a tumbled collection of red mesas and boulders and spires of stone. It looked like some huge kid had knocked a... It looked like some huge kid had been building a city toy with skyscraper-sized blocks and then decided to knock it over. Where are we? I wondered. Colorado Springs, a voice said behind us. In the Garden of the Gods. I want to take that one again. Colorado Springs, a voice said behind us. The Garden of the Gods. Standing on the spiral staircase behind us, with his weapon drawn, was our missing swordmaster, Quintus. You, Annabeth said, what have you done with Daedalus? Quintus smiled faintly. And trust me, my dear, you don't want to meet him. Look, Mr. Traitor, she growled. I didn't fight a dragon woman with a three-bodied man and a psychotic sphinx to meet you. Now where is Daedalus? Quintus came down the stairs, holding his sword at his side. 
He was dressed in jeans and boots and his counselor's t-shirt from Camp Half-Blood, which seemed like an insult now that we knew he was a spy. I didn't know if I could beat him in a sword fight. He was pretty good, but I figured I would have to try. You think that I am an agent of Kronos, he said, that I work for Luke. Well, duh, said Annabeth. You are an intelligent girl, he said, but you're wrong. I work only for myself. Luke mentioned you, I said. Garyon knew about you, too. You've been to his ranch. Of course, he said. I have been almost everywhere. I have been almost everywhere. Even here. He walked past me like I was no threat at all and stood by the window. The view changes from day to day, he mused. And it's always someplace high up. Yesterday it was a skyscraper overlooking a Manhattan. The day before that there was a beautiful view of Lake Michigan. But it keeps coming back to the Garden of the Gods. I think the labyrinth likes it here. A fitting name, I suppose. You've been here before? I said. Oh, yes. That's an illusion out there? I asked. A projection or something? No, Rachel murmured. It's real. We are really in Colorado. Quintus regarded her. You have got a clear vision, don't you? You remind me of another mortal girl I once knew. Another princess who came to grief. All right, enough games, I said. What have you done with Daedalus? Quintus stared at me. My boy, you need lessons from your friend on seeing clearly. I am Daedalus. There were a lot of answers I might have given from I knew that to Laia to Yeah, right, and I'm Zeus. The only thing I could think to say was, But you're not an inventor, you're a swordsman. I am both, Kintus said. And an architect and a scholar. I also played basketball pretty well for a guy who did not start until he was 2,000 years old. A real artist must be good at many things. That's true, Rachel said. Like, I can paint with my feet as well as my hands. You see, Quintus said, a girl of many talents. But you don't even look like Daedalus, I protested. I saw him in a dream and... Suddenly... A horrible thought dawned on me. Yes, Kintus said. You have finally gazed to the truth. You're an autonomous... You're an autonomous... Wow, wow, wow. You're like a big guy and stuff. You're an automaton. You made yourself a new body. Percy... Annabeth said uneasily, That's not possible. That that can't be an automaton. Quintus chuckled. <laughs> you know what Quintus means, my dear. The fifth in Latin, but... This is my fifth body. The swordsman held out a forearm. He pressed his elbow and part of his wrist popped open. A rectangular hatch in his skin... 
Underneath bronze gears whirred. Wires glowed. That's amazing, Rachel said. That's weird, I said. You found a way to transfer your animus into a machine, Annabeth said. That's not natural. Oh, I assure you, my dear, it's still me. I am still very much Daedalus. Our mother, Athena, makes sure that I never forget that. He tugged back the collar of his shirt. At the base of his neck was the mark I had seen before. The dark shape of a bird grafted to his skin. A murderer's brand, Annabeth said. For your nephew, Perdix, I guessed. That boy that you pushed off the tower. Quintus's face darkened. I did not push him. I simply made him lose his balance, I said. Let him die. Quintus gazed out the window at the purple mountains. I regret what I did, Percy. I was angry and bitter. I cannot take it back, and Athena never lets me forget. As Perdix died, she turned him into a small bird, a partridge. She branded the bird's shape on my neck as a reminder. No matter what body I take, the brand appears on my skin. I looked into his eyes, and I realized he was the same man I'd seen in my dreams. His face might look totally different, but the same soul was in there, the same intelligence, and all the sadness. You really are Daedalus, I decided. But why did you come to the camp? Why spy on us? To see if your camp was worth saving. Luke had given me one story. I preferred to come to my own conclusions. So you have talked to Luke? Oh, yes. Several times. He is quite persuasive. But now you've seen the camp. Annabeth persisted. So you know we need your help. We can't let Luke get through the maze. Daedalus set his sword on the workbench. The maze is no longer mine to control, Annabeth. I created it, yes, but... Uh, I created it, yes. In fact, it is tied to my life force, but I have allowed it to live and grow on its own. That is the price that I paid for privacy. Prophecies from what? From the gods, he said. And death. I have been alive for two millennia, my dear, hiding from death. But how can you hide from Hades? I asked. I mean, Hades has the Furies. They do not know everything, he said. Or see everything. You have... Encounter them, Percy. You know this to be true. A clever man can quite easily hide for... A clever man can hide quite a long time. I have buried myself very deep. Only my greatest enemy has kept after me, and even him I have thwarted. You mean Minos, I said. Daedalus nodded. He haunts for me relentlessly. Now that he is a judge of the dead, he would like nothing better than for me to come before him so he can punish me for my crimes. After the deaths, after the daughters of Coclus killed him, 
Minos' ghost began torturing me in my dreams. He promised that he would hunt me down. I did the only thing I could do. I retreated from the world completely. I descended into my labyrinth. I decided that this would be my ultimate accomplishment. I would cheat death. And you did, Annabeth marveled, for two thousand years. She sounded kind of impressed, despite the horrible things Daedalus had done. A loud bark echoed across the corridor. I heard the... of huge paws, and Mrs. O'Leary bounded to the workshop. She licked my face once, and then almost knocked Daedalus over with an enthusiastic leap. There is my old friend, Daedalus said, scratching Mrs. O'Leary behind the ears. My only companion over all of these long, lonely years. You let her save me, I said. That whistle actually worked. Daedalus nodded. Of course it did, Percy. You have a good heart. And I knew Mrs. O'Leary liked you. I wanted to help you. Perhaps I felt lucky. Lucky? Perhaps I, I felt guilty as well. Guilty about what? That your quest would be in vain. What? Annabeth said. But you can still help us. You have to. Give us Ariadne's string so Luke can't use it. Yes. The string. I told Luke that the eyes of a clear-sighted mortal are the best guide, but he did not trust me. He was so focused on the idea of a magic item. And the string works. It is not as accurate as your mortal friend here, perhaps, but it's good enough. Good enough. Where is it? Annabeth said. It is with Luke, Daedalus said sadly. I'm sorry, my dear, but you are several hours too late. With a chill, I realized why Luke had been in such a good mood in the arena. He'd already gotten the string from Daedalus. His only obstacle had been the arena master, and I'd taken care of that for him by killing Antaeus. Kronos promised me freedom, Quintus said. Once Hades is overthrown, he will set me over the underworld. I will reclaim my son, Icarus. I will make things right with poor young Perdix. I will see Minos' soul cast into Tartarus where it cannot bother me again, and I will have no longer to run from death. That's your brilliant idea, Annabeth said. You're going to let Luke destroy your camp, kill hundreds of demigods, and then attack Olympus. You're going to bring down the entire world so you can get what you want. Your cause is doomed, my dear. I saw that as soon as I began to work on your camp. There is no way that you can hold back the might of Kronos. That's not true, she cried. I am doing what I must, my dear. The offer was too sweet to refuse, I'm sorry. Annabeth pushed over an easel. Architectural drawings scattered across the floor. I used to respect you. You were my hero. You built amazing things. You solved problems. Now I 
don't know what you are. Children of Athena are supposed to be wise, not just clever. Maybe you are just a machine. You should have died 2,000 years ago. Instead of getting mad, Daedalus hung his head. You should go warn your camp. Now that Luke has the string. Suddenly Mrs. O'Leary pricked up her ears. Someone's coming, Rachel warned. The doors of the workshop burst open and Nico was pushed inside. His hands in chains. Then Kelly and two Lestragonian giants marched in behind him, followed by the ghost of Minos. He looked almost solid now, a pale, bearded king with cold eyes and tendrils of mist coiling off of his robes. He fixed his gaze on Daedalus. There you are, my old friend. Daedalus's jaw clenched. He looked at Kelly. What is the meaning of this? Luke sends his compliments, Kelly said. He thought that you might like to see your old employer, Minos. This was not a part of our agreement. This was not a part of our agreement, Daedalus said. No, indeed, Kelly said. But we already have what we want from you, and we have other agreements to honor. Minos required something else from us in order to turn over this fine young demigod. She ran a finger underneath Nico's chin. It'll be quite useful, and all Minos asked in return was your head, old man. Daedalus paled. Treachery. Get used to it, Kelly said. Nico, I said. Are you okay? He nodded morosely. I'm... I'm sorry, Percy. Minos told me that you were in danger. He convinced me to go back into the maze. You were trying to help us? I got tricked, he said. He tricked all of us. I glared at Kelly. Where's Luke? Why isn't he here? The she-demon smiled like we were sharing a private joke. Luke is... Busy. He's preparing for the assault, but don't worry, we've got more friends on the way, and in the meantime, I think you'll have a wonderful snack. In the meantime, I think I'll have a wonderful snack. Her hands changed into claws, her hair burst into flames, and her legs returned to their true form. One donkey, one bronze. Percy? Rachel whispered. The wings? Do you think... Get them, I said. I'll try to buy you some time. And with that, all Hades broke loose. Annabeth and I charged at Kelly. The giants came right at Daedalus, but Mrs. O'Leary leapt to his defense. Nico got pushed to the ground and struggled with his chains while the spirit of Minos wailed, Kill the inventor! Kill him! Rachel grabbed the wings off the wall. Nobody paid her any attention. Kelly slashed at Annabeth. I tried to get her, but the demon was quick and deadly. She turned over tables, smashed inventions, and wouldn't let us get close. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Mrs. O'Leary chomp her fangs into a giant's arm. He wailed in pain and flung her around, trying to shake her. Daedalus grabbed for his sword, but the second giant smashed the workbench with his fist and the sword went flying. A clay jar of Greek fire broke on the floor and began to burn, green flames spreading quickly. To me, Minos cried, spirits of the dead. He raised his ghostly hands in the air and began to hum. No. Nico cried. He was on his feet now. He'd somehow managed to remove the shackles. 
You do not control me, young fool, Mino sneered. All this time I've been controlling you. A soul for a soul, yes, but it is not your sister who will return from the dead. It is I, as soon as I slay the inventor. Spirits began to appear around Minos, shimmering forms that slowly multiplied, solidifying into Cretan soldiers. I am the son of Hades, Nico insisted. Be gone! Minos laughed. You have no power over me. I am the lord of spirits, the ghost king. No, Nico drew his sword. I am. He stabbed his black blade into the floor, and it cleaved through the stone like butter. Never! Minos's form rippled. I will not! <laughs> the ground rumbled. The windows cracked and shattered to pieces, letting in a blast of fresh air. A fissure opened in the stone floor of the workshop, and Minos and all of his spirits were sucked into the void with a horrible wail. The bad news? The fight was still going on all around us and I'd let myself get distracted. Kelly pounced on me so fast I had no time to defend myself. My sword skittered away, and I was hit in the head as a work table fell. My eyesight went fuzzy. I couldn't raise my arms. Kelly laughed. You are gonna taste wonderful! She bared her fangs, and then suddenly her body went rigid. Her red eyes widened. She gasped. School? Spirit? And Annabeth took her knife out of the Emposa's back. With an awful screech, Kelly dissolved into yellow vapor. Annabeth helped me up. I still felt dizzy, but we had no time to lose. Mrs. O'Leary and Daedalus were still locked in combat with the giants, and I could hear shouting in the tunnel. More monsters were coming toward the workshop. We have got to help Daedalus, I said. No time, Rachel said. Too many coming. She'd already fitted herself with wings and was working on Nico, who looked pale and sweaty from his struggle with Minos. The wings grafted instantly onto his back and arms. Okay, now you, she told me. In seconds, Nico, Annabeth, Rachel, and I had fitted ourselves with coppery wings. Already I could feel myself being lifted by the wind coming through the window. Greek fire was burning the tables and furniture, spreading in circular... St spreading up the circular stairs. Daedalus! I cried. Come on! He was cut in a hundred places, but he was bleeding golden oil instead of blood. He'd found his sword and was using a part of a smashed table as a shield against the giants. I won't leave Mrs. O'Leary, he said. Go! There was no time to argue. Even if we stayed, I wasn't sure we could help. None of us know how to fly? Nico protested. Great time to find out, I said, and together the four of us jumped out the window into the open sky. Okay. The big reveal at last. Kintus, an oddball, a traitor in some way, maybe. Hard to tell. Daedalus, uh, lost for such a long time. Uh, seemingly totally hidden. 
what were they going to find when they got here? Of course, it was going to be some old man, right? Some ancient, ancient old man. Or, more likely, much more likely, a skeleton. But no. They had already met Daedalus. Daedalus had moved his animus, essentially like a soul, from his body, his dying body, uh, his old, old body, and moved it into an automaton. And went to check out the camp. Because Luke had been telling him his side of the story, right? Luke had come to Daedalus and said, Hey, we need this string because we need to destroy this camp. Because heck with the gods. It's time for their it's time for their reign to end. And then we get the worst bit of news. As as uh as even now, Daedalus sort of like he's, he's has a conversation with them. He doesn't seem to be an enemy. Even through this, we find that the the terrible news has already come to pass. They came here to try and prevent Luke from getting the string of Ariadne, and it turns out he already had it. He already had it back when they fought Antaeus. It's not looking good. Now, folks, I'm going to leave you with a bit of a chatter break question. Then uh, I'm going to take a quick five-minute break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about that. I would love to hear what your answer is in chat here. Go ahead and uh, put your answer either in Discord in the Percy Jackson discussion or here in chat on Twitch. I really would love to hear what it is you think about Luke. We know Luke has had this this, uh, sort of conflict for a long time, but... Knowing that, knowing now what we do about Luke uh, having already had this this bit of string, the only thing left in his way was Antaeus, and Percy Jackson took care of that pretty handily, didn't he? What's left? Why is he busy right now? Why isn't he attending to this himself? There was that pause. Kelly paused before uh, she said, Luke is busy right now. Why is that? What is he doing? And... What is his part to play in what is coming up now inevitably? And there's also a, there's also an extra detail about Luke that, that Percy noticed back in the last chapter. And I want to know if any of y'all picked it out. What's different about Luke? Why is he... Because, you know, I almost said Hermione. Annabeth did say he seemed different, but... Percy noticed something specifically different about Luke. Do any of, y'all, any of y'all know what it was? So not just a chatter break, but also a bit of a pop quiz. So everybody, I'm going to be back in five minutes. I will see you then. I am looking forward to this because we are like, we are cruising toward the climax of this book. And it's very exciting. All right, folks, I will see you in five. Don't forget, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And if you would like to know more about myself, about what I do here, go ahead and visit the link that has just popped up in chat. I'll see you in five. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Sorry, I think I'm a little bit late. Is my my cup leaking? I can't tell. All right, folks. I got a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to chat about it? Because, uh, of course, there's uh, this thing that's different about Luke. And I think we've got somebody who has picked it out. The sword. That is what that is what uh, Luke noticed. That 
That is what Percy noticed. The sword was not on Luke. Now, that's not just any sword. It's it's not like Luke didn't have a sword. Luke didn't have his special, like, uh, super uh, specifically made sword. What's the deal with that? Swan Song says, I'm not very good about picking out the details while multitasking. I missed whatever I should have seen. <laughs> uh, and Sparkle Lovegood says, I remember something being said, but I can't remember what. There we go. Um, and Gwendog says, what happened at the end of 13 to jog my memory if I did? Uh, this was this was in, not last week, but this was uh, earlier in this, uh, today's stream. So, uh, Gwendog, it was indeed the sword. Um... That's strange, and then, of course, right now, Luke is MIA. He, I mean, we get the sense that Kelly probably knows where he is, but he's not here to attend to this fairly important business of, like, handing over a, handing over Daedalus to King Minos. What's going on here? Well, we're, we're going to have to find out, aren't we? Um, I think overall, what we're seeing from Luke is a lot of sort of, like, hemming and hawing on on certain things, but then total focus with other things. Um, we know, I think, we can pretty safely say that he is still very dedicated, whether, whether he's in his right mind or not, he's still very much dedicated to this mission of ending the reign of the gods. For Luke, it is, it is time for the gods to no longer be in charge. It's time for someone else to try, I suppose, and, uh, you know, in the, I think I've mentioned this before, and y'all know kind of how I feel about this, but I've said before, you can't live to avoid something. You have to live towards something. And right now, all he's doing is sort of living in such a way to remove something from the world. He's, he's living in such a way that the gods aren't in charge. He doesn't really care. He doesn't really care who's in charge, and that's why he's thrown in his lot with this particular gang. Um, uh, as long as something is not true, but he's not living toward a goal as much as he's living, running away. He's, he's, he's fleeing something else. He just wants something to not be true. He doesn't want to bring the truth, manifest the truth into the world. He just wants something to not be true anymore. And that can put you in all sorts of places, as we're seeing right now. All right, a bit of review. So, uh, when we, we began today's stream, Percy, Annabeth, and their new guide, the clear-sighted Rachel Elizabeth Dare, head back down into the labyrinth. They encounter Antaeus, another son of Poseidon, but uh, his mother, in this case, is Gaia. And uh, Percy manages to fight off Antaeus uh, and get the, the, get them free, thinking that, okay, if we can get free of Luke just for right now, we can head, we, can, we, might, we might still be able to reach Daedalus first and prevent Luke from getting his hands on the string of Ariadne. Well, we'll see about that, won't we? They progress through the maze. Um, Percy has a chance to sort of discuss and get to know Rachel Elizabeth Dare a little bit better. Um, but this is, uh, as we enter into the next one, we steal some slightly used wings. Um, uh, they make their way and find Daedalus's workshop. Not only that, but when they enter, they find Daedalus himself. It turns out Daedalus and Kintus are the same person. They are one and the same, and uh, 
turns out Daedalus did in fact find out a way to transfer his animus, sort of his soul, after a uh, uh, after a long time of, of studying and even using the the designs of, I believe it was Perdix, his niece or his his niece, his nephew that he murdered, um, he did manage to put together uh, a a reasonable automaton and transfer his soul into it. And that was Kintus. This is the fifth body he's been on. He's been cheating death for two thousand years. And uh, as we discover all of this, we hear the bad news. First of all, Luke has already got the string of Ariadne. He already had it back in the uh, in the arena when Percy met him. Um, and finally, well, Percy uh, uh, Percy sort of is shocked to find that Nico has been brought here. Because King Minos has demanded, in order to turn over Nico um, to the sort of efforts of the Titan Kronos, he just wants one thing. He wants the inventor, Daedalus. And so they use Daedalus to uh, to get the string. They've got it. They betray him uh, by turning him over to Minos. And as uh, as as. Nico fights off Minos and sends him and a bunch of ghosts plummeting back down below somewhere. Um, and uh, they managed to strap on some wings. Turns out Nico went looking for Percy, so maybe he has indeed had a change of heart. But Nico, Percy, Annabeth, and Rachel Elizabeth Dare are now suited up with some wings and ready to take a jump. And that's where we're at. Mem Knight, good to have you here. Thank you very much for the bits. This, I think, is going to be uh, one of the more exciting chapters of this uh, of this story. Let's find out if we've officially hit the climax of this book. Now, meanwhile, I'm also hearing some weird noises from outside my window. Hopefully those go away. I'm really hoping it wasn't the air conditioner. So some very, very strange noises. All right. I think it's time. Let's do it. Chapter 16. I open a coffin. Jumping out of 500 foot I've been I've been like launching into these chapters worse and worse lately, haven't I? <laughs> it's just getting more and more overboard. Chapter 16. I open a coffin. Jumping out a window 500 feet above ground is not usually my idea of fun, especially when I'm wearing bronze wings and flapping my arms like a duck. I plummeted toward the valley and the red rocks below. I was pretty sure I was going to become a grease spot in the Garden of the Gods as Annabeth yelled from somewhere above me, Spread your arms! Keep them extended! A small part of my brain that wasn't engulfed in panic overheard her, and my arms responded. As soon as I spread them out, the wings stiffened, caught the wind, and my descent slowed. I soared downward, but at a controlled angle, like a kite in a dive. Experimentally, I flapped my arms once. I arced into the sky and wind whistled in my ears. <laughs> yeah, I yelled. The feeling was unbelievable. After getting the hang of it, I felt like the wings were part of my body. 
I could soar and swoop and dive anywhere I wanted to. I turned and saw my friends, Rachel, Annabeth, and Nico, spiraling above me, glinting in the sunlight. Behind them, smoke billowed from the windows of Daedalus's workshop. Land! Annabeth yelled. These ling... These wings won't last forever. How long? Rachel asked. We don't want to find out, Annabeth said. We swooped down toward the Garden of the Gods. I did a complete circle around one of the rock spires and freaked out a couple of climbers. And the four of us soared across the valley, over a road, and landed on the terrace of the visitor's center. It was afternoon and the place looked pretty empty, but we ripped off our wings as quickly as we could. Looking at them, I could see Annabeth was right. The self-adhesive seals that bound the wings to our backs were already melting, and we were shedding bronze feathers. It seemed a shame, but we couldn't fix them and couldn't leave them around for the mortals, so we stuffed the wings into trash bins outside the cafeteria. I used the two-earth binocular camera to look up at the hill where Daedalus's workshop had been, but it had vanished. No more smoke, no broken windows, just the side of a hill. The workshop moved, Annabeth guessed. There's no telling where. So, what do we do now? I asked. How do we get back into the maze? Annabeth gazed at the summit of Pike's Peak in the distance. Maybe we can't. If Daedalus died, he said his life force was tied to the labyrinth. The whole thing might have been destroyed. Maybe that will stop Luke's invasion. I thought about Grover and Tyson, still down there somewhere, and Daedalus. Even though he'd done some pretty terrible things and put everybody I cared about at risk, it seemed like a pretty horrible way to die. No, Nico said. He isn't dead. How can you be sure? I asked. I know when people die. It's this feeling I get. It's like a buzzing in my ears. What about Tyson and Grover, then? Nico shook his head. That's harder. They're not humans or half-bloods. They don't have mortal souls. We have to get back to town, Annabeth decided. Our chances will be better of finding an entrance into the labyrinth. We have to make it back to camp before Luke and his army. We could just take a plane, Rachel said. I shuddered. I don't fly. But you just did. That was low flying, I said. And even that's risky. Flying up really high, that's Zeus's territory. I can't do that. Besides, we don't even have time for a flight. The labyrinth is the quickest way back. I didn't want to say it, but I was also hoping that maybe, just maybe, we would find Grover and Tyson along the way. So we need a car to take us into the city, Annabeth said. Grover looked down into the parking lot. She grimaced as if she were about to do something she regretted. I'll take care of it. How? Annabeth asked. Just trust me. Annabeth looked uneasy, but she nodded. Okay, I'm going to go buy a prism in the gift shop. Try to make a rainbow and send an iris message to camp. I'll go with you, Nico said. I'm hungry. I'll stick with Rachel then, I said. I'll meet you guys back in the parking lot. Rachel frowned like she didn't want me with her. That made me feel kind of bad, but I followed her back down to the parking lot anyway. 
She headed toward a big black car parked at the edge of the lot. It was a chauffeured Lexus, like the kind I always saw driving around Manhattan. The driver was out front reading a newspaper. He wore a dark suit and tie. What are you going to do? I asked Rachel. Just wait here, she said miserably. Please. Rachel marched straight up to the driver and talked to him. He frowned. Rachel said something else. He turned pale and hastily folded up his magazine. He nodded and fumbled for his cell phone. After a brief call, he opened the back door of the car for Rachel to get in. She pointed back in my direction, and the driver bobbed his head some more, like, Yes, ma'am, whatever you want. I couldn't figure out why he was acting so flustered. Rachel came back to get me just as Nico and Annabeth appeared from the gift shop. I talked to Chiron, Annabeth said. They're doing their best to prepare for battle, but he still wants us back. They're going to need every hero they can get. Did we find a ride? The driver's ready when we are, Rachel said. The chauffeur was now talking to another guy in khakis and a polo shirt, probably his client who had rented the car. The client was complaining, but I could hear the driver saying, I'm sorry, sir. Emergency. I've ordered another car for you. Come on, Rachel said. She led us to the car and got in without even looking at the flustered guy who'd rented it. A minute later, we were cruising down the road. The seats were leather. There was plenty of legroom. The back seat had a flat panel TV built into the headrest and a mini fridge stocked with bottled water, soda, snacks. We started pigging out. Where to, Miss Dare? The driver asked. I'm not sure yet, Robert, she said. We just need to drive through town and look around. Whatever you say, miss. I looked at Rachel. Do you know this guy? No. But he dropped everything to help you. Why? Just keep your eyes peeled, she said. Help me look. Which didn't exactly answer my question. We drove through Colorado Springs for about half an hour and saw nothing that Rachel considered a possible labyrinth entrance. I was very aware of Rachel's shoulder pressing against mine. I kept wondering who she was exactly. And how could she walk up to some random chauffeur and immediately get a ride? After about an hour, we decided to head north through Denver, thinking maybe a bigger city would be likely to have a labyrinth entrance. But we were all getting nervous. We were losing time. Then, right as we were leaving Colorado Springs, Rachel sat bolt upright. Get off the highway! The driver glanced back. Miss? I saw something, I think. Get off here. The driver swerved across traffic and took the exit. What did you see? I asked, because we were pretty much out of the city now. There wasn't anything around except hills, grassland, and some scattered farm buildings. Rachel had the driver turn down this unpromising dirt road. We drove by a sign too fast for me to read it, but Rachel said, Western Museum of Mining and Industry. For a museum, it didn't look like much. A little house like an old-fashioned railway station, some drills and pumps and old steam shovels on, this, on display outside. There, Rachel pointed to a hole in the side of the nearby hill. A, a tunnel that was boarded up and chained. An old mine entrance. A door to the labyrinth? Annabeth asked. How can you be sure? Well, look at it, Rachel said. I mean, I can see it, okay? She thanked the driver when we all got out. 
He didn't ask for money or anything. Are you sure you'll be all right, Miss Dare? I'd be happy to call your- No! Rachel said. No, no, thank you. Thank you, Robert, but we're fine. The museum seemed to be closed, so nobody bothered us as we climbed the hill to the mine shaft. When we got to the entrance, I saw the mark of Daedalus engraved on the padlock. Though how Rachel had seen something so tiny all the way from the highway, I had no idea. I touched the padlock and the chains fell away. We kicked down a few boards and walked inside. For better or for worse, we were back in the labyrinth. The dirt tunnels turned to stone. They wound around and split off and basically tried to confuse us, but Rachel had no trouble guiding us. We told her we needed to get back to New York, and she hardly even paused when the tunnels offered a choice. To my surprise, Rachel and Annabeth started up a conversation as we walked. Annabeth asked her more about her background, but Rachel was evasive, so they started talking about architecture. It turned out that Rachel knew something about it from studying art. They talked about different facades on buildings around New York. Have you seen this one? Blah, blah, blah. So I hung back and walked next to Nico in uncomfortable silence. Thanks for coming back for us, I told him at last. Oh, excuse me. Thanks for coming after us, I told him at last. Nico's eyes narrowed. He didn't seem as angry as he used to, just suspicious. Careful. I owed you for the ranch, Percy. Plus, I wanted to see Daedalus for myself. Minos was right, in a way. Daedalus should die. Nobody should be able to avoid death that long. It's not natural. That's what you were after all along, I said. Trading Daedalus' soul for your sister's. Nico walked on another fifty yards before answering. It hasn't been easy, you know, having only the dead for company, knowing that I'll never be accepted by the living. Only the dead respect me, and they only do that out of fear. You could be accepted, I said. You could have friends at camp. He stared at me. Do you really believe that, Percy? I didn't answer. The truth was, I didn't know. Nico had always been a little different, but since Bianca's death, he'd gotten almost... scary. He had his father's eyes, that intense, manic fire that made you suspect he was either a genius or a madman, and the way he banished Minos and called himself the King of Ghosts. It was kind of impressive, but it made me uncomfortable, too. Before I could figure out what to tell him, I ran into Rachel, who had stopped in front of me. We'd come to a crossroads. The tunnel continued straight ahead, but a side tunnel teed off to the right, a circular shaft carved from volcanic rock. What is it? I asked. Rachel stared down the dark tunnel. In the dim flashlight beam, her face looked like one of Nico's specters. Is it that way? Annabeth asked. No, Rachel said nervously. Not at all. Why are we stopping then? I asked. Listen, Nico said. 
I heard wind coming down the tunnel, as if the exit were close. And I smelled something vaguely familiar, something that brought back bad memories. Eucalyptus leaves, I said. Like in California. Last winter, when we'd faced Luke in the Titan Atlas on top of Mount Talampais, the air had smelled like that. There's something evil down that tunnel, Rachel said. Something very powerful. And the smell of death, Nico added, which made me feel, which made me feel a whole lot better. Annabeth and I exchanged glances. Luke's entrance, she guessed. The one to Mount Arthurus, the Titan's palace. I gotta check it out, I said. Percy, no. Luke could be right here, I said. Or, or, or Kronos, I gotta find out what's going on. Annabeth hesitated. Then we'll all go. No, I said. It's too dangerous. If they get a hold of Nico or Rachel for that matter, Kronos could use them. You stay here and guard them. What I didn't say, I was also worried about Annabeth. I didn't trust what she would do if she saw Luke again. He had fooled her and manipulated her too many times before. Percy, don't, Rachel said. Don't go up there alone. I'll be quick, I promised. I won't do anything stupid. Annabeth took her Yankees cap out of her pocket. At least take this and be careful. Thanks. I remembered the last time Annabeth and I had parted ways, when she'd given me a kiss for luck in Mount St. Helens. This time, all I got was the hat. I put it on. It goes nothing. And I sneaked invisibly down the dark stone tunnel. Before I even got to the exit, I heard voices. The growling, barking sounds of sea demon smiths, the telekines. At least we salvaged the blade, one said. The master will still reward us. Yes, yes, a second one shrieked. Rewards beyond measure. Another voice, another voice, this one more human, said, Uh, yeah, it's great. Now... If you're done with me. No, have blood, the telekine said. You must help us to make the presentation. It is a great honor. Gee, thanks, the half-blood said. Then I realized it was Ethan Nakamura, the guy who had run away after I'd saved his life in the arena. I crept toward the end of the tunnel, and I had to remind myself I was invisible. They shouldn't be able to see me. A blast of cold air hit me as I emerged. I was standing near the top of Mount Tam. The Pacific Ocean spread out below, gray under a cloudy sky. About twenty feet downhill, two telekines were pacing. Two telekines were placing something on a big rock, something long and thin and wrapped in a black cloth. Ethan was helping them open it. Careful, you fool! The telekine scolded. One touch and the blade will sever your soul from your body. Ethan swallowed nervously. My bill just let you unwrap it then? I glanced up at the mountain's peak, 
where the black marble fortress loomed, just like I'd seen in my dreams. It reminded me of an oversized mausoleum, with walls fifty feet high. I had no idea how mortals could miss the fact that it was here, but then again, everything below the summit seemed fuzzy to me, as if there were a thick veil between me and the lower half of the mountain. There was magic going on here, really powerful mist. Above me, the sky swirled into a huge funnel cloud. I couldn't see Atlas, but I could hear him groaning in the distance, still laboring under the weight of the sky, just beyond the fortress. There, the telekine said. Reverently, he lifted the weapon, and my blood turned to ice. It was a scythe. A six-foot-long curved blade like a crescent moon with a wooden handle wrapped in leather. The blade glinted two different colors, steel and bronze. It was the weapon of Kronos, the one that he'd used to slice up his father, Oronos, before the gods had taken it away from him and cut Kronos to pieces, casting him into Tartarus. Now the weapon was reforged. We must sanctify it in blood, the telekine said. Then you... Half-blood shall present it when the Lord awakes. I ran toward the fortress, my pulse pounding in my ears. I didn't want to get anywhere close to that horrible black mausoleum, but I knew... I knew what I had to do. I had to stop Kronos from rising. This might be my only chance. I dashed through a dark foyer into a main hall. The floor shined like a mahogany piano pure black and yet full of light. Black marble statues lined the wall. I didn't recognize the faces, but I knew looking at images of but I knew I was looking at images of Titans who had ruled before the gods. At the end of the room, between two stone braziers, was a dais, and on the dais the golden sarcophagus. I did it again. I always do it. At the end of the room between two at the end of the room between two bronze braziers was a dais, and on the dais, the golden sarcophagus. The room was silent, except for the crackle of the fires. Luke wasn't here. No guards. Nothing. It was too easy. But I approached the dais. The sarcophagus was just like I remembered. About ten feet long, much too big for a human. It was carved with elaborate scenes of death and destruction. It was carved with elaborate scenes of death and destruction. Pictures of the gods being trodden under chariots, temples and famous world landmarks being smashed and burned. The whole coffin gave off an aura of extreme cold like I was walking into a freezer. My breath began to steam. I drew a riptide. And a little too comfort. I drew a riptide and felt a little comfort from the familiar weight of the sword in my hand. Whenever I'd approached Kronos before, his evil voice had spoken in my mind. Why was he silent now? He'd been shred into a thousand pieces, cut with his own scythe. What would I find if I opened that lid? 
How could they make a new body for him? I had no answers. I just knew that if he was about to rise, I had to strike him down before he got his scythe. I had to figure out a way to stop him. I stood over the coffin. The lid was decorated even more intricately than the sides. The scenes of carnage and power. In the middle was an inscription carved in letters even older than Greek. A language of magic. I couldn't read it exactly, but I knew what it said. Kronos, Lord of Time. My hand touched the lid. My fingertips turned blue. Frost gathered on my sword. Then I heard voices behind me. Voices approaching. It was now or never. I pushed the golden lid back and it fell to the floor with a huge... I lifted my sword, ready to strike. But when I looked inside, I didn't comprehend what I was seeing. Mortal legs dressed in gray pants. A white t-shirt. Hands folded over his stomach. One piece of his chest was missing. A clean black hole about the size of a bullet wound. Right where his heart should have been. His eyes were closed. His skin was pale. Blonde hair. And a scar running down the left side of his face. The body in the coffin was Luke's. I should have stabbed him right then. I should have brought the point of Riptide down with all of my strength, but I was too stunned. I didn't understand. As much as I hated Luke... As much as he had betrayed me, I just didn't get why he was in the coffin, why he looked so very, very dead. Then, the voices of the telekines were right behind me. What has happened? One of the demons screamed when he saw the lid. I stumbled away from the dais, forgetting that I was invisible and hid behind a column as they approached. Careful, the other demon warned. Perhaps he stirs. We must present the gifts now, immediately. The two telekines shuffled forward and knelt, holding up the scythe that is wrapped clothed. Holding up the scythe on its wrapping cloth. My lord, one said, your symbol of power is remade. Silence. Nothing happened in the coffin. You fool. The other telekine muttered. He requires the half-blood first. Ethan stepped back. Whoa. What do you mean he requires me? Don't be a coward. The first, tele the first telekine hissed. He does not require your death, only your allegiance. Pledge him your service. Renounce the gods, that is all. No, I yelled. It was a stupid thing to do, but I charged into the room and took off the cap. Ethan, don't! Trespasser! The telekines bared their seal teeth. The master will deal with you soon enough. Hurry, boy. Ethan! I pleaded. Don't listen to them. Help me destroy it. 
Ethan turned toward me, his eye patch blending in with the shadows on his face. His expression was something like pity. I told you not to spare me, Percy. An eye for an eye. You ever hear that saying? I learned what it meant the hard way. When I discovered my godly parent. I'm the child of Nemesis. Goddess of revenge. And this is what I was made to do. He turned toward the dais. I renounce the gods. What have they ever done for me? I will see them destroyed. I will serve Kronos. The building rumbled. A wisp of blue light rose from the floor at Ethan Nakamura's feet. It drifted toward the coffin and began to shimmer, like a cloud of pure energy. Then it descended on the sarcophagus. Luke sat bolt upright, his eyes open, and they were no longer blue. They were golden, the same color as the coffin. The hole in his chest was gone. He was complete. He leapt out of the coffin with ease, and where his feet touched the floor, the marble froze like craters of ice. He looked at Ethan and the telekines with those horrible golden eyes, as if he were a newborn baby, not sure what he was seeing. Then he looked at me, and a smile of recognition crept across his mouth. This body has been well prepared. His voice was like a razor blade running over my skins. His voice was like a razor blade running over my skin. It was Luke's, but not Luke's. Underneath his voice was another, more horrible sound. An ancient, cold sound like metal scraping against rock. Don't you think so, Percy? I couldn't move. I couldn't answer. Kronos threw back his head and laughed. The scar on his face rippled. Luke feared you, the Titan's voice said. His jealousy and hatred have been powerful tools. It's kept him obedient. For that, I thank you. Ethan collapsed in terror. He covered his face with his hands. The telekines trembled, holding up the scythe. Finally, I found my nerve. I lunged at the thing that used to be Luke, thrusted my blade straight at his chest, but his skin deflected the blow like he was made of pure steel. He looked at me with amusement. Then he flicked his hand, and I flew across the room. I slammed against a pillar. I struggled to my feet, blinking the stars out of my eyes, but Cronus had already grasped the handle of his scythe. Oh, much better, he said. Backbiter. Luke called it an appropriate name. Now that it's been reforged completely, it shall indeed bite back. What have you done with Luke? I groaned. Kronos raised his scythe. He serves me with his whole being, as I require. The difference is, he feared you, Percy Jackson. I do not. That's when I ran. There wasn't even any thought to it. No debate in my mind about, gee, should I stand up to him and fight? Nope. I simply ran. But my feet felt like lead. 
Time slowed down around me, like the world was turning to jello. I'd had this feeling once before, and I knew it was the power of Kronos. His presence was so strong it could bend time itself. Run, little hero, he laughed. Run! <laughs> I glanced back and saw him approaching, leisurely, swinging his scythe as if he were enjoying the feeling of having it in his hands again. No weapon in the world could stop him. No amount of celestial bronze. He was ten feet away when I heard, Percy! Rachel's voice. Something flew past me, and a blue plastic hairbrush hit Kronos in the eye. Ow! He yelled. For a moment, it was only Luke's voice, full of surprise and pain. My limbs were freed, and I ran straight into Rachel, Nico, and Annabeth, who were standing in the entry hall, their eyes filled with dismay. Luke, Annabeth called. What? I grabbed her by the shirt and hauled her after me. I ran as fast as I have ever run, straight out of the fortress. We were almost back in the labyrinth entrance when I heard the loudest bellow in the world, the voice of Kronos coming back into the control. After them! No! Nico yelled. He clapped his hands together and a jagged spire of rock the size of an 18-wheeler erupted from the ground right in front of the fortress. The tremor caused... The tremor it caused was so powerful the front columns of the building came crashing down. I heard muffled screams from the telekines inside. Dust billowed everywhere. We plunged into the labyrinth and kept running, the howl of the Titan Lord shaking the entire world behind us. Ooh, baby. All right, folks. <laughs> there you have it. That's the whole thing. Are we impressed? <laughs> that was a heck of a chapter. And uh, a bit of a cliffhanger, frankly, for us to land on next week. Plague Deity says, yo, that was great. It was pretty good. I think that went well, but those chapters were fantastic. Uh, Y'all, this was a three-chapter week. Next week is going to be a four-chapter week, and next week we are going to finish this book. Uh, this week was 13,400-ish uh, uh, words. Next week is 13,200-ish words, so only slightly smaller than this week. Everybody, that was a heck of a chapter. Uh, I certainly hope you've enjoyed it. Um, I want to... You know, I want to sort of wrap up some of that discussion we did about Luke just a moment ago, and then we're going to talk some beans. But everybody, uh, Luke, we, we now know why Luke was missing for a moment. We know why Luke's sword was not at his side. We know what these telekines have been working on, these uh, sea demon dogs, um, these smiths of the deep. They have been working on this scythe. Now, this scythe is sort of like this... This big, uh, I mean, this big weapon is something that we typically associate with death, but now I think we see it's it's something even more ancient, more more primal than that. Uh, this, I mean, Titan Lord Kronos, that's about as deep down as you can get. All right, folks. We know we know why Luke 
was gone, but how, do we know why Luke sort of landed here? And I think that's what I want you all to keep an eye out as we move forward uh, into next week. And uh, if it doesn't answer it next week, then possibly the coming weeks. Why is it that the body that they've been sort of putting together for Kronos, why is it that it just looks like it's Luke? Has Have we been dealing with Luke the whole time? Has it really been Luke or not? And if not... Excuse me. If it really has been Luke the whole time, just under you know maybe under the influence, like Annabeth thinks, maybe not. Um, if it if we've really been dealing with Luke the whole time, then why is the body here? Why does it look exactly like Luke? Jade says. So it was the soul coming back together. Yes, that was essentially it. Now soul and body. I think they're sort of like combining those two ideas. I think essentially. Like, Kronos was cut into pieces, and I think each of those pieces had, like, pieces of soul in there. You know how typically when you when, when someone dies, their body is separated from their soul in some way. I think with this scythe, they sort of cut into... They cut into Kronos and, like, separated little bits of his soul with the pieces of body, because none of it died, right? And then they just took all those pieces and chucked it down into Tartarus. There we go. There we go. Um, but uh, yeah, Jade, I mean, we do have some outstanding questions about all that, don't we? We got to, we got to discover what precisely is going on with this body and, uh, with the body that they've been creating. And are they the same thing? Did they swap bodies out at the last minute? Did they decide differently? Did they decide, you know, Luke would make a better vessel for this somehow? There it is, folks. <laughs> Monkey says, I've got no words. It was a great it was a great collection of chapters tonight and uh, I'm really excited to get into next week because this is going to be our last stream of our second to last book. Uh, starting the week after next, we are going to be on to our final book in this main body of the series. Right? There there are other series in the Percy Jackson universe, this Olympians universe, but this is the la we're coming up on the last stream of this book and then the next book is the last book in this series. So we're going to have to start taking some votes soon. We're going to start have to, having to uh, uh, put in suggestions for that. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what we read next. Don't forget, y'all, those votes happen. Those votes, the suggestions, all that sort of stuff, that happens over in Discord. So please go and check out the Discord um, now I have all of your links to the back episodes, um, to all the ones that are up currently and all the ones that will be up whenever you happen to listen to this. Uh, Linktree slash sidecar stories, L-I-N-K-T-R dot ee slash sidecar stories jade says and what weapon could percy use against him and we never found tyson and grover oh this book is playing with my emotions yeah we've got i mean we've got four full chapters left and uh you know a couple of those are on the shorter side but one of them is like a full four thousand words uh chapter 18 is a, a long one so everybody when we come back next week we're gonna have a lot of these questions answered this is one of those weeks where it's hard to have a full discussion about this because we're just we we have seen a lot of the stuff that we're going to see from character development. You know, before we get to the end of this book, it's gonna it, it'll be hard to find more character development from Rachel. Uh, it'll be hard to find more character development from Annabeth, from Percy, etc. Before the end of this book, because right now it's just sort of it's all these setups that are going to be paid off very very quickly. And until we see the payoff, it's hard to talk about the setups. But don't forget that um, uh, don't forget that. You know, we had a much deeper discussion of this over when we were talking about um, Murder on the Orient Express, which we just finished up. A very fine stream. And don't forget, folks, we are going to have that vote open um, starting probably this Tuesday. I'm probably going to get that vote started uh, this coming Tuesday. Uh, so 
I guess next Tuesday, the 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 upcoming Tuesday that is coming up for all of us. Um, if-